Hi, I'm Danny Swanson and you're listening to Glory Days of Gold. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Glory Days of Gold, the East Fife and Scottish football podcast. I'm your host Lee Gillis. And I'm Michael McCall. So um, you'll probably notice by the elated tones in my voice, we've just come off an absolutely excellent interview with, with Danny Swanson. Um, I've said to Michael, I, I feel a bit like a, a bit of a, a giddy schoolboy because it was such an invigorating chat, so open, honest, you know, talked about so much more than football, but I mean, I'm, I'm blown away by it, to be honest. I, I can't believe that we've got somebody like him at our club. Yeah, fantastic. I genuinely think everyone that listens is going to take a lot from this, really enjoy it. Won't say too much more, we'll kind of unpack it after you guys hear it. Yeah, definitely. Um, shout outs as always to our sponsors. So as always, huge thanks to John Scott Neal. We've also got uh, Tony Charletta and Henry Ireland as always KJK Installation so thank you so much for your continued support guys so moving on a um, couple of friendlies since we last chatted um, a 5-0 demolition to a strong hearts team on Friday when I spoke to a couple of people at the club they were a bit peeved because they were under the understanding that it was going to be a bit of a team rotation and it just seemed to be that they just played their full squad so yes. naturally when you're going to play a team at a hearts quality that you know that's pretty much the the result you can expect, but you know, a good chance to test ourselves against some pretty good opposition. Um, we then had our final match um, of the EFTV trial, which unfortunately I missed um, due to work, but against Saki um, on Tuesday night, and again, another comfortable win. Craig Watson, Kevin Smith, good to see Thomas Collins and, and uh, Jack Hamilton get on the, the score sheet there, and hopefully the, the highlights of that will, will come out tomorrow and I'll be able to catch that, but by the sounds of things, there was a, a bit of a, a poor experience yeah. on the EFTV from the, the Saki side of things. Let's be honest, through in the Saki, you know, they're, they're lucky to even have electricity. So the fact that we're relying on the internet would maybe make things a little bit difficult. But yeah, yeah, You I know, mean, when we started this, I thought I would be the guy that would be getting hate from all over Scotland. But you've, <laughs> like, you've like topped me. Gonna, your yeah. Twitter's going to blow up again, man. No, I don't think we'll have many listeners in soccer. And if I do, of course, it's only in jest. I'm from Glenothis. I can't say anything about anywhere. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> so, I mean, literally, we have been voted Scotland's worst town on a few occasions on the Pluke of the Plinth Awards. So, yeah, I don't think that I'm really... It's kind of like pot calling the kettle black, but there we go. I was actually doing a, an interview with some guys from Nutmeg magazine. I don't know if how familiar... So it was about the whole Cowden family stuff and how it happened and just various things like that. And we were talking during the interview and I'd said, it's kind of ironic really because East Fife play in Methyl. It's not really 
that much better than Cowden Beath. They're poor five towns that's been left that way because the mining left. And that's Scottish football summed up. You, you think, oh, my shitty town's better than your shitty town. That's basically, that's what Scottish football is based on. Uh, more or less, but, you know, I think that we could all take solace that we're definitely not as shit as Cowden. That, that they've got to be the worst. West, worst West Fife is definitely... As, this, as we, we used to sing on the terrace and you all live on the you shite side of Fife. You live on the shite side of Fife. I don't know if that's so, still sung. I got asked if the Cowden family is still sung and I said, I honestly don't know. Um, we've not played Cowden away in a few years, but obviously we've got the cup coming mm. up, but it doesn't look like we're going to get into that. Outside with megaphones. Yeah, and get Ian, was it Ian Matthew when we're going to have a game with the traffic cone megaphone? That might have been after your while um, coming back on the bus. <laughs> yeah, loads of, loads of memories of that. Just to touch as well, just on the two results, I don't think we can read too much into the Hearts game. The Socky one, it was a good 4 1 victory. Good to see Collins getting his first goal. These games, we said it after the Stinney game, you don't want to read too much into it. Stinney was a good performance. It, it, the proof of the pudding is going to be in the Betfred Cup and we're going to see that pretty soon. Definitely. And I mean, a, a shout out to, to Anton Dowds for sticking it to Rovers and Falkirk's absolute demolition of them. That's one that we will need into get it massively yes. up them. But, I think we can uh, read that Falkirk's <laughs> going to be strong. Yes, we can read that. And I mean, look, Anton Dowds is a, is a top player and, and, you know, going up against them. It's going to be good, but I genuinely feel that we'll be Barcelona after chatting to Danny Swanson. That's that's how excited I am on the back of that. But all joking aside, um, we're we're looking back at the the whole COVID quagmire coming in again, um, and sucking the fun right out of everything. It's looking like you know they've already said in England that there's not going to be fans in for at least another six months. I personally think that the 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 lower grounds in Scotland should be used as the guinea pigs. Um, about letting fans in, even if it's just you know a maximum of 300, 400 fans, whatever. I'm I'm really beginning to be fearful that we might not have a season. Um, and you know we've signed contracts to pay players. You know Danny himself's not going to be there on sweetie money. We're gonna we've got another you know a, a whole team of, of good players. How do we pay them if we're not going to have any money coming in if there's no season? Because they'll still be saying, well, it's not my fault that I can't do what you're asking me to do. I still expect my wage from it. So As the government looks like they're cutting the whole furlough scheme as well. Yeah. It, I mean, contact sports was one of the things that I saw listed as could be one of the, the next things to go if things don't get better. And like, let's be honest. Most folk are doing things properly. But there are a big group of people that are basically fucking this up for everyone else. And it's the same over here in Canada as well, because our numbers are starting to go up and through the roof as well. And I know this isn't a popular thing to say, but so much of it stems from opening the pubs and, and clubs and stuff like that. Because when you're drunk, whether you mean to or not, you don't know what you're doing. You can't social distance. You don't remember to put your mask on. So of course it's spreading. I just read today that there's been a massive spread at Glasgow University as well. I mean, you're seeing stuff like that. It's concerning. I genuinely have doubts that the lower league season is going to start when it's meant to start. I hope I'm wrong, but the way that things are trending and what Nicola Sturgeon said on Tuesday, I think we have to prepare for the worst. I do like your idea, though, 
using their lower league clubs and stadiums as possible guinea pigs, especially some of the big ones that still have terracing or stuff like that as well, or big stands. Like Clyde, you could certainly test something at Clyde. Airdrie would be another one, big, big stadium. Queen's Park. Yeah, <laughs> although they're a, they're a less Hamden some fans now. Yeah. Are they? Yeah, they've sold uh, Hamden, so they won't be playing their games at Hamden. They're going to be renovating Lesser Hamden. I don't know if that's from this season or next, but that is the the thing. They've been putting in stands and everything at Lesser Hamden. I could have swore that they were there for this last season, but well, I could be got totally wrong. Um, could be totally wrong. But like, I, I don't want to keep rattling on about the COVID situation. Unless you're exempt, wear your fucking mask. Um, let's let's get ourselves back into the, the game as, as soon as we possibly can. I mean, I, I work um, in a sales environment in Dundee um, without revealing who I work for. You know, we, we target a lot of our business at the, the student and the sort of millennial populace. And, you know, the, our, one of the biggest universities in our city, their student halls have been locked down with 500 students in it because... There's, there's somebody in there that's tested positive for COVID and, right. you know, I, I'm still seeing people walking about Dundee without masks on. Now, I get that there's people that are exempt. I totally get that. And I totally 100% appreciate that from every fibre of my soul. If you've got COPD, if you've got asthma, if you've got underlying health conditions, fine. But there's a lot of people that are just saying, everybody asthma, Ed and I need to wear a mask. Well, you know, you, you can't have that attitude because, I mean, look, look at example for, for um, uh, West Ham who are due to be playing last night. Um, and David Moyes and a few of the other boys have tested positive for COVID. They're asymptomatic. Say, for example, they've been sitting in a restaurant across from your nan and your nan then goes and gets COVID and dies. You're going to be thinking, oh, well, that was down to some unfortunate person not wearing their mask. You know, you, you can't have that sort of, oh, well, I'm not feeling any symptoms, so I'm not going to wear a mask. Get out of that mindset and, and and start caring about the other people in your community. Start caring about your grands. You know, start caring about your friends' families. Start caring about your families. You know, if, if we go to lockdown again, you know, it, it's going to ruin the economy. It's going to absolutely decimate absolutely. the economy. Especially at um, Christmas time. Exactly. You know, I mean, I don't know if you see my Facebook post last night. I mean, I, I do think that some of the new... Lockdown rules are completely farcical. You know, I could take my mum out for a pint of tennis, yeah, but I can't nip around for a cup of tea. You know, mental. But you know, I, I am a by the book guy. I'll live by that. You know, I'm, I now know that I'm not going to see my mum and dad, even though they live a hundred yards across from me. I'll not be in their house. You know what I mean? How difficult is it for me to walk past my daughter? And my daughter go, I want to go to Annie's house, or I want to go to Granddad's house. Yeah. And saying, you can't go there because people won't wear their mask. Because she was not going to understand. And, I mean, we're, we're seeing the impact in football now in the UK because Leighton Orient as well, their team came down and their game against uh, Tottenham in the Cup was called off. We've had it over here, lots of games called off. I've read something today, I think it was the Asian Champions League. A team wanted to play with nine players because 19 of their squad had come down with COVID and the game wasn't getting called off. So they said, okay, well, we'll play with nine. And then eventually it got called off. And it's like, once these things start to happen, it's just going to have a snowball effect and trying to do catch up. And I mean, it's not obviously just about football, but our show is. So that's one of the things that concerns us. But these lower league teams, they've done well for so many of them to get to this point. But another lockdown 
No fans, no income coming in. This is really, really going to test some of these teams now in Scotland and England. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, we're at risk of seeing it again. You know, socially distance. Keep your mask on when you can. Don't leave your house unless it's necessary. Don't do things that you don't necessarily have to do. You know, look after your your kin, and hopefully we'll get back to T's Fife and, and and get us um, seeing some goals soon. Absolutely. So, and just a, one last example of things that's happening over here in Vancouver. We're not allowed to play any more games in Canada because the border with America is closed. So the whole Whitecaps team and Toronto and Montreal have now had to relocate to the US for the rest of the MLS season. So Vancouver's getting based in Portland, Montreal's playing out in New York, and Toronto's in Connecticut. So it's like insane that they're still trying to go ahead with stuff like this, and there's like mini bubbles or and whatever. On the plus side, I did convince the Whitecaps communications guy to do a shopping run. They're allowed to fly back for two days on a charter flight, and they can... <laughs> They can come back, see their family, and then leave again in a charter. So they're allowed to do that. So they're going to do a shopping trip for me, which I thought was very nice. Oh, happy days. If you can get the chance to send over a couple of cans of Mountain Dew, Code Red, which I can't get over here anymore, I'd be most grateful of that if you have See what I can do. Yeah, birthday cake Oreos, I'll happily take that. Either or. Oh, I think we have those in Canada. So yeah, let me see what I can do for you. Much appreciated. So... Last chance, get your, your tartan strips at the reduced price. You've got until the end of September to do so. This will be the last show that you'll hear before the end of September, so make sure you get them while you can. We're in the, the final of the best strip um, up against Rangers Castori kit. Oh, so aye. Let's see. Yes, um, as I think it's an unofficial Facebook poll, but I'll take whatever award we could get. Um, and supporting the club and raising some money at this time as well. Anything you can buy from the club shop actually would be great in any way that you can support the club at this time. Obviously, subscribing to EFTV and like we, we talked, it brings us full circle. We talked at the, the top there about the Socky stream wasn't very good. It's because you're relying on what Socky were providing. From my understanding, all the home teams are going to be responsible for their own streams and get all the money from home and away fans. So East Fives is top-notch quality. So I don't think we'll have the, these trouble once the season gets underway. Let's hope not anyway. Um, but, you know, we're going to move on now. So we're going to bring to you this week's Have You Heard? And you'll notice that I've put out a little bit of a plea because my my local band feed was running dry. Now, this is a band that I do actually really like, and they're called The Shambolics. They're from Kirkcaldy. Now, I had planned to play them significantly earlier in the podcast. Oh, how yes. However. Yes. However, they affiliated themselves with the bloody Rovers, and the Rover, uh, they used some of the Rovers... Um, the Rovers use some of their, their music in their, their campaign. So I had to I had to give them a bit of a, a break for, for symbolic reasons and obviously for sheer hatred of the Rovers. But I want to bring a song to you this week. It's called Sandra Speed. Um, I listened to it for the second time today. Um, really, really good, really upbeat and really sort of reminiscent of the sort of indie era with Franz Ferdinand, Kaiser Chiefs. But maybe a little bit more of a sort of editor sort of swing to it too. Really, really enjoyed it. So here's this week's have you heard? And it's Shambolics with Sandra Speed. You're 
that was the shambolics with sandra speed go and give them a follow on twitter just search the shambolics and i'm sure you'll come up with all their details you'll find them on spotify and all the usual places there was a few fans um, actually recommended them so i think john tyndall was one and the other was scott young so thanks for the recommendation guys there's also going to be a bit of a twist to next week's have you heard because michael is going to pick the, the upcoming weeks of the um, Have You Heard section and I'm going to take the Wavelength section because I think that maybe we'll, we'll try and mix it up a little bit. Uh, Glenn Walker in particular isn't happy with my music taste so I'll maybe prefer to have Michael's. Hopefully I'll find some good songs coming up um, about football. You know, I'm thinking more sort of traditional, We Have a Dream, you know, sort of actually good music, um, Michael. So we'll, we'll see how we get on with that. Whereas, obviously, I'll be going for a have you heard down the punk route. And can I just say, though, if if any band was going to tie up with Wraith Rovers, a band called Shambolics is very apt. That's a very good point. And, and let's be honest, unless it was called Claude and Elka, You're My Hero, I don't think there's any other band name um, that would uh, really top that. Um, and we're going to move on to our feature interview. Um, I'm really, really, really excited to bring this one to you. I, I can't wait for you all to hear it. And I think that the social media on this one has genuinely got the potential to be as good as Dave Clark's. So you know who he is. It's Mr. Danny Swanson. 411 appearances and 41 goals. He's played for the eighth team he's played for in his 15-year career. And more importantly, his biggest achievement to date, Glory Days of Gold, Lee and Michael, and all our sponsors have paid for us to sponsor him this season. So here he is, the man himself, Mr. Danny Swanson.
So delighted now to say that we're joined by one of the new signings for East Fife this year. According to our research, which is always patchy at the best of times with Wikipedia and Transfer Market, he's made 411 appearances, scoring 41 goals. East Fife are the eighth team that he's played for in a 15-year career. He's the man that we are sponsoring this campaign as well down at Bayview. Welcome to the show, Danny Swanson. Thanks very much for having me. First thing, just to kick things off with Danny, how is life at the Fife treating you right now? Brilliant. I couldn't ask for a, a better club to join, to be honest with you. Um, obviously, at this stage of my career, uh, the money is not always great in the, in the SPL, especially when you get to 33. So I kind of had to make a decision what I wanted to do. And I made a decision to go part-time. And when I had a few, uh, to be fair, I had, to be honest, I had a lot of clubs contact me, to be fair, part-time teams. And I'm good pals with Kevin Smith. So he was never off the phone to me. He was pushing a wee bit. I spoke to the manager a, a few times and really enjoyed what he was saying and stuff and I looked through the squad and I thought I don't know a bit of research on the club and stuff and thought okay and then once it's what since the first day I've been in it's been I've really enjoyed it like it's been very different only training a couple of days a week but I've I've, I've loved it because I probably say the last couple of years of my career I didn't enjoy training I felt I felt hard traveling to Perth every day and didn't think the training was great and I wasn't playing it towards the end of the end of the, the season and stuff. And if you're not training, if you're not having good good days training, you're not playing. It's just a chore at the end of the day. So this worked out perfect for me. Training in Edinburgh, uh, Tuesday, Thursday night, and then hopefully the season starts. But I've loved every every minute. I can't I can't grumble with anything. Obviously, with the things going on with COVID and stuff, there's a lot of restrictions and stuff. That's maybe maybe making things a bit awkward, but. I can't complain with anything, really. That's fantastic to hear. I mean, I, th- I think that's just what we want to hear from players that, that come to the club. And I know the club's worked hard to kind of make it feel like a family over the last couple of years. And I mean, that comes across great. I mean, what we'll do today, we'll take a, a journey through your career. We'll look a little bit towards the future as well. We'll look at your days for in youth football to, to playing in the Premier down in England, coming to Bayview. But before we get into all that, uh, when we're doing some research for this, I, I didn't actually know about this in, until I was just doing some research a couple of days ago, but you were I didn't know you were born with a heart defect and you had actually had heart bypass surgery at 13. So were you playing football when that was discovered? or And were you worried then that that might be the end of playing football for you? Well, it got... So basically, you see now if you were to get, if you were you were have you were, have a scan, a baby scan, you would maybe notice it in the in the scans, to have a wee thing in their heart. But obviously mm. back then, it was obviously twenty or twenty seven years ago. It was my foot. I got first, I got first caught when my mum had been noticing my pup, my, my lips had been going purple, and I'd been really out of breath, really red face. She kept taking me to the doctors, and the doctors were just like, oh, you're just over anxious and stuff. And then, I think it was like the seventh time or something, she went to a different doctor, and the doctor said, take up straight to the sick kids. And this is when I was three, and they had to do an emergency. I had a, I had a hole in my heart, and they had to do an emergency uh, bypass. And I don't remember any of this, to be honest. Um, I've seen photos and that when I was in the hospital and stuff, but I don't remember any of it. And then 
got to like 13 and I was fine. I was absolutely fine. I used to go for heart checkups and stuff every year. And then I had a doctor that looked after me all these years. Dr. Burns was her name. And uh, she called us up into the, the hospital and I kind of sat outside. And my mum and dad went in to speak to her. And then my dad came out and my dad's known to be like a tough kind of rough kind of guy, a very old school. Uh, he was sobbing, eh? just sobbing, walked right past me, couldn't even look at me. And I'm thinking to myself, what's going on here? So I got called into the room and then Dr. Burns just said, listen, Danny, you're going to have to get another operation. And I was thinking, I couldn't believe it. I was like, why? I feel all right. And she was just like, well, it's very dangerous. You could have just, something bad could just happen without us even, without even knowing about it and stuff. So then I was given this like, this 50, 50% chance of kind of coming through it and stuff. So that was, I always remember like, but I always thought to myself, seeing my dad so upset, I was thinking, just get it done. So I didn't really let it bother me and stuff. And I was in the hospital for a few months and I think I got, got back then after another six months or something. And to be honest, there's been a little bit of damage from the operation, but because um, I go down to London every every year to get checked and there's been a little bit of damage in the electricity bit with the valves or something, I don't know, something complicated. And um, But it's never really stopped me obviously playing. It's just kind of kind of hurts my fitness a little bit. I get to a point where I can't go any further mm. and I've just kind of got to take a wee break. That's sometimes I would try and judge it in games where I've, I've worked a bit hard and I'll try and step out the game a little bit and just, just calm it a bit. So, uh, But I've never really, like medicals not been fine and I've kind of just, just, just tried to do as much as I can with with within reason. Like. That's amazing. I mean, I know you came through the youth ranks at Hutchison Vale and then Leith Athletic, and then you signed your first senior contract with Berwick in 2005. At what point did you know you had what it took to kind of make it in the pros? It wasn't at that time anyway, because I actually had to, my dad actually had to ask the manager for a trial at Berwick, so I never actually got scouted or stuff. I ended up going to Vale Leith on a trial, stuff like that, went to Berwick. And thought I'd done all right, but I still went there thinking I'm not really this good enough for this level at that time. And then John, the manager, John Coughlin, said, I'll give you 20 quid a week. And I bit his hand off. I was like, oh, brilliant. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. Getting paid to play football. And then first six months, still found it hard and thought that these players were too good. And it was a big step up. They were real men. And and then after I got a year on the games, I thought, all right, I can maybe... Maybe play here, like, never ever thought I could play at a higher level. And then we played against Hamilton one night at Berwick and um, had a great game. And then on the way up the road, Hamilton, the manager phoned me and said, Hamilton, I've put a bid in, 50 grand. We've accepted that. You're going to speak to them tomorrow. And I was like, oh, I was like, got there, got to Hamilton next game day. And it went so fast and stuff, showed me around, offered me this these wages and that was like 500 quid a week, but that was crazy to me. I was like, 500 quid a week? Couldn't they believe it? Got home the next, that night after I said, shook the manager's hand, I said, right, I'll sign in the morning. Ended up no signing. <laughs> Ended up waking up in the morning and saying to my dad, it doesn't feel right. I didn't want to do it. I think I was just scared. Didn't think I was at that level. And then didn't even tell the manager, just like really naive and just never even phoned him and say, I'm not coming. Just never turned up. I just, at that time, I didn't, just didn't know where to go. So looking back on it now, it makes me look really bad, but I was young and I didn't really understand the whole football thing, really. Um, I was working as a plumber every day, so I was like, I didn't really know what football was all about, really. And then a few months later, I got 
um, I signed a pre-contract with Dundee United. They were they put a bid in and they accepted it. And I went to see, speak to Craig Levine and then just signed there and then. And then that's when I started thinking I could probably make a career of this. And um, I've been quite happy with how it's turned out. You're from Leith. Did you grow up as a Hibs fan, or like who was your footballing heroes? So who did you aspire to be? I was diehard Hibs fan. Like I was um, Russell Atapi and. Uh, Dark Lehman, they played for Hibs and they, they both came to see me actually at my opera- after my operation. And D- Russell Latapi was my favourite player like of all time. So uh, he was always a player I, I, I wanted to be like. And I used to go to all the Hibs games, so I was a massive Hibs fan. Um, and obviously still go to the games now when I can. Um, but uh, I, in Leith, it's just Hibs. That's brilliant. My father-in-law's a massive Hibby and he listens, so he'll be loving that. Um, uh, so Latape, what a player, by the way. I had, like he, I remember watching him at Hibs, and then obviously went to Rangers. And when you see interviews of players that played with him, like he was a great uh, player, but a, a total chain smoker. Like uh, he just lived a total mental lifestyle, and that's why, like, he never really made the step up. Aye, well, that's the thing. Like, like see, see how he was head and shoulders above any player I've seen at Hibs. Like even to this day now, like I'd still say it. That six-two game against Hearts, like a performance like that, just he was incredible. And as you say, he's obviously lifestyle and that, but like nobody knows what what his upbringing was like. He was featured at Tobago. Nobody knows, so he might have had a hard upbringing. I don't know, but he's done alright. He's done alright. He's definitely a, a top player. So, what are your memories of your first games in the senior then? So that would have been for Berwick. How did you find that initial jump? Obviously, you, you spoke a wee bit about it. Like, do you remember the, the sort of the anxious feeling of going through the tunnel in your first game. At Berwick, I honestly, I was, so, I was, I did not think I was good enough to be there, so I was really nervous. And but we loved, I loved, got like this is how like serious I kind of took it. We used to drive down, my mum and my dad used to drive down to the games, and on the way down, we would stop off for like a fry up or some bacon and egg rolls. This is before a game, and like I wouldn't imagine doing that now. I'm just like. I still didn't grasp that I was kind of playing, even though it was only Berwick, I was still playing at professional level. And I still remember a few of the games, not really, it's not, not really that clearly, but uh, I think I made my debut against Montrose and then I'd done really well and I never really looked back since then uh, when I played for them. But it was Montrose and the manager had told me that morning that I was going to start my first game. And then that was a massive thing for me, like, uh, even though it's like at Berwick at Montrose, it was still huge for me and uh, done really well and that kind of springboarded me to just keep doing better and better and better. So you were two and a half years at Berwick before you got your first move to Dundee United but do you remember your, your first professional goal? Was that for Berwick? <sighs> My first professional goal? I would have been for Berwick. I, um, it might have actually been against Partick Thistle. I think we played them in a cup at, at, um, at Partick and I scored. And that was actually the game that Craig Levine came to watch me that day. That was a, that was the day Craig Levine said he decided to sign me was that day. It was my first goal, and and then I ended up going on a wee run, scoring a few. I scored a few goals for better, not many, but I kind of went on a wee run, scoring a few. Um, but that was the one that kind of stands out because I knew teams were kind of watching me at that point. So I was kind of I thought to myself that getting a goal would be a big thing, and it, it, it turned out to be. Perfect. So, I mean, Craig, Craig Levine himself came to watch you, so that must have been, you know, a, a pretty big moment for you. And, and that itself, 
was the, the, the game that he decided to, to sign you. So how is his, the approach from him then? Did, did he contact you personally or was it through the club? It was, it was through the club. Um, the club said that, that um, they had accepted an a bid and I was due to go and see him the next game day. And then Craig Levine was there at the stadium and I hadn't been brought up to hate Craig Levine, harsh, harsh manager. Yeah. I remember singing songs about him. Like, we don't like I, him either at East Fife, so it's okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> so i just been brought up to hate him. So here I am standing in front of him and we well, sitting in front of him in, this, in his office. And everything he said just, I don't know, it was just amazing. Just, just even to this day, I've, I've got so much respect for the guy. And I remember going for my medical at Hamden and I was obviously worried about my heart. This was a th- this is the one time I really thought, right, if this doesn't work, come out, what am I going to do? And then I remember on my way back with my dad and I was just worried, really worried. And Craig Levine phoned my dad and said, um, so this is before we got any results back. And he just said, so he must have phoned up Hamden or someone and found out. And he said, everything's fine. You could be a Dundee player in the morning. And then that was just massive for me. And um, he just, he was so good. He led, he gave me a lend, because I had no money at the time. I was just an apprentice plumber at the time. He gave me a lend of money for a car. Um, he'd done, just done so much for me. Like, he just had so much faith in me. He put me in a game. I'd only been training with the club league for four months. Um, and because I was still at Derek, so I was, I'd signed a pre-contract. And then the first game I was available, he put me in at half time against Hearts. And it was like so surreal. I couldn't believe it. And this, this, is, this is what he used to do. He used to, he used to love me, to be fair. I don't know why. Sometimes he used to go mental at me, but he had a soft spot for me. And throughout my career, he's helped me. And he's always the one manager I would say, like, I would... I would trust anything and uh, I appreciate everything he's done for me. Like, because if no, then I would, everything I've done is what didn't him really. Well, um, you know, there's, there's not often you hear people talk highly of, a, of, of Craig Levine. So <laughs> it's, it's good to, 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 to hear that. And I mean, for somebody to give you, a, like a, a manager to give you a loan for, your, for a cars, yeah, it I, just seems mental now, but... You know, that's that's brilliant. So, I mean, you made a successful time at, at Tannadice. You know, that's the time that I'll probably say, be honest with you and say, I remember the majority of your career. 12 goals and 127 appearances, played in Europe. But, I mean, you know what I'm going to say next. That winning the Scottish Cup, every boy in Scotland's dream, you know, 3-0 win over Ross County. It's not the only cup you've won, but, and we'll come to that later, but surely your career highlight. Aye, definitely. Like, it's always a one thing. Um but it was just the team we had, eh? Like we actually believed we could win a trophy. That was the thing. We actually we didn't think to ourselves, because even I've been at teams when you, you get drawn against the team, you're like, oh, well, nobody won the cup anyway. Let's let's who cares? But we actually believed we could win a cup that year, eh? and the team we had was very strong. And the whole build up to the for the semi final to the final, and then actually lifting the trophy was like a bit of a blur. But obviously, I've watched it over and stuff, and. I showed the kids and that, and it was, it was the, the best, the best day of my career, by a mile. To be fair, like uh, we spoke to Gary Naismith, and, and and he said the exact same thing that it was that sort of you know it was everything that you dreamed of really, um, and just as a side note for these five fans that are listening that don't remember, um, Dundee United actually beat Rovers in the semi final, which 
we wanted to thank you for personally. Obviously, any chance to get it right up them is something that's that's hugely, hugely popular with us, and you'll come to realise that in your, your next two years, as a minimum, hopefully, with the five. Yeah. But, I mean, on, on the day, obviously, you're, did you get to bring anybody onto the pitch, or, or does it just... It was, like, it was really good because, obviously, see when, see when the Hibs won it, kind of got spoiled a bit obviously with what happened with the fans and stuff yeah. whereas we got we got to have our families on the pitch um, obviously I had kids at the time but I had my wee brother that was at Dundee at the time I've got photos with him with the cup on the pitch and just see, see him walking around with the pitch walking around the pitch I don't know how many fans we had there we had basically three quarters of the stadium it was crazy and see walking around it was I still remember it still gives me shivers now like the, the passion and the what it actually brings to people it's it's incredible, and we all just felt all together. And to be fair, Dundee United, great club, like unbelievable club. And it's even to this day, I still, I still would say I support them. It's like even though I'm a Hibs fan, I still love to see Dundee United doing well because they helped me through a lot of things off the pitch as well. And they were just the best club for me at that point in my career. And I maybe left a year too early, but. I couldn't have done any more for Dundee United and we were finishing third, we won a cup and it was just the time to go, I think. But uh, as a club, unbelievable. How does that compare to you then as a, a, a massive hippie? Obviously winning it as a player, but I mean, how long Hibs waited to win it as a team? If you had to choose... That's Hibs... a silly question, silly question. Which one is it? Oh, I'm winning it myself all day. <laughs> all day. All Fair day. Enough. No, you know, I mean, nah, I could never could never take that away, like no chance. That's um, Fair enough. that's something that's like like even still I still talk about it now with my nana and stuff, she still asks about it. So it's something that's it's always gonna be there, eh? And I would never change it for anything like. And where does the medal sit? Where do you My get dad's the medal? got it in a, in a, in a framed, he's got the strip framed in the programme and the medal, he's got it in his house. Uh, my dad likes to keep all that kind of stuff. I'm not, I'm not really a big, like, to be fair, I've got, if you were to walk in my house, you wouldn't think I've played football. I've not really got anything <laughs> in football in my house, really. The only thing I've got is when they played against, I played against Messi and my wee brother got a big canvas, canvas picture. And it's kind of sitting behind my bedroom door and stuff. So I just kind of like to think when I when I leave, when I finish, but this is what I used to think. Obviously, finish training, I used to kind of try and forget about football. So I didn't know what to come into my house yeah. and think. And football's everywhere. I just used to think, right, that's family time now or something else. Whereas um, you see a lot of players that have got their own pictures or there was and all that. I'm not really, I've not really got that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Thanks for that, mate. So if we look at the Scottish Cup as being like career highlight, whilst you were at Dundee United as well, you also earned a call up to the Scotland team in October 2011, but you were forced to, to pull out with, with an injury. Is that one of the biggest regrets of your career? And how close were you, do you feel, to getting another call? Because another one never never came. Well, see, see, this is, this is, this is where um, people got it kind of a bit wrong. So I never actually pulled it with injury. What happened was, so I got called up um, and I got called up for the Liechtenstein in the Spain game and I was depressed at the time. So I got there and I didn't want to be there. So 
got there and Craig Lane was the manager and I was at the lowest of the low. I couldn't I couldn't end getting worse. Even though I remember getting told I was getting called up, it was the best feeling ever, but I didn't actually feel it. Mm. Got on the plane and stuff. No, I got to the hotel and I was like, I do I can't go like ended up going, trained a few days, trained really well. Craig Lane was really happy with me, but it was getting it was after training was I was really struggling. Uh, I was I'm not scared to admit it, but I was crying, crying every, every night and just in a really, really bad place. And I ended up, after a few days, I said, to, we flew to Spain and I said to Craig, um, no, before we flew to Spain, I went, Craig, listen, I, I can't be here and that. And he was like, speak to the doctor and that, come back and speak to me and that. So I spoke to the doctor, I still thought I wanted to go home. Um, I spoke to Craig and Craig just kind of sat me down and said, listen, Dan, he was like, I'm not going to involve you in any of the games. He was like, just, just experience, just, just try and get your head around the experience. No pressure on being here, just train away. And I ended up staying. I wasn't involved in the games. I still got my shirts and stuff, but um, I went over, um, trained with the boys, and loved it. Like I actually turned a corner when I was there. I kind of thought I'm actually really enjoying it. I think the kind of pressure took took got taken off me a little bit, and then. I didn't want to come home after after a week, so it kind of turned around really quick. It was, uh, but I I was just happy to get the call to be honest and get to train with the boys. That was that was that was good enough for me. I I mean, did they never did they get in touch with you after that to for any potential call ups or? No, there was nothing really after that because Craig Levine because Craig Levine was obviously a big part of it, and he mm. he obviously he obviously got sacked and then. That was that was kind of it. When I was at Peterborough, I had a good spell and there was talk of it, but no, I never actually materialised. And to be fair, at, at the time, we had some top, like the midfielders were Darren Fletcher, Charlie Adams, were really top players at playing at a high level, so it was, it was difficult anyway. But um, no, nothing else happened, but it's nothing I, nothing I regret. It was obviously mm. even just getting a chance to, to train with them and be a part of it was amazing for me. You need to get your Wikipedia page chained in because it says you had to pull out with a medial ligament strain. So, so. Uh, yeah, Ken, I've, I've seen all this like as because I was supposed to be at the I was supposed to go go to the Dublin tournament with Scotland. Oh yeah, but that was the one that I was injured for. But I, I didn't actually get named in the squad. It was just he was going to name in the squad, but I never I never I, I pulled it before that anyway. So I, I didn't get named in the squad anyway. But I knew he was going to. But I was I'd done my medial ligament. Mm. Um, at uh, Dundee United, so it was it was kind of it was only a friendly, and it was just a friendly tournament, eh? But I actually got called up for the for the the Euro, was it the World Cup once. Uh, I don't know, it must be Euros or World Cup. I don't know, but then uh, I've just seen like Fletchers and that how they prepare for games and that, and that was when he wasn't well. That was when he never had that illness, mm-hmm. and he still played. And he was incredible, incredible. Yeah, you touched there on the depression side of things, and. Like back then, I think it's a bit better now, but I think back then I know a lot of players just wouldn't talk about it. We had Andy O'Brien out here and I'd, I've had a lot of chats with Andy about his battles with depression and he felt coming here was what turned the corner for him because he got away from all the media attention from being back home and coming to a city where no one really knew who he was. But I mean, it's a it's a difficult thing and do you feel... Footballers nowadays are able to talk about it a lot more. I I think I think now like when I when I first was diagnosed with it, I had no idea what it was. And near the near the players like Willow Flood and stuff who was a bit more experienced, he had no idea either. So mm. back then it was just nobody even knew what was going on. Like I'd never really heard it. Whereas now you've got you've got a lot of 
a lot of people, a lot of charities and stuff that do it, it's just, it's all right people talking about it, but it's, it's actually doing something about it as well. Like, hey, you've got to try and help yourself. Like, I, I found that a big thing was when I had it, I just, I stayed in my bed all day, all day for weeks, wouldn't go to my bed. And, it's, and then actually breaking the cycle of doing that, and it's the hardest thing to do, but actually getting out of your bed, even making your bed, just wee silly things like this, just wee progressions. And this is what I kind of felt helped me, but then I came to a point where I proper got, I was at Dundee United and the, the doctor said, we're putting you into the priory because I'd got to that point. I was like, I was at a breaking point. So I went to the, I went to the priory in uh, Dundee United this, uh, in Glasgow. And this is another thing. I think it cost Dundee United about 35 grand or something. So it was over Christmas time. I got sent, I got sent to this, to this place. And, I, and like you were saying, how that boy Andy O'Brien had kind of taken away from everything that helped him. That's what helped me. I kind of got taken away from football. I was staying, staying overnight in this, it's a mental hospital, but it's not like you would see on the movies. It's a lovely place. And um, it was basically two weeks away for everything. No football, no media. Dundee United had said I had an injury. So they weren't bothered. So I kind of had two weeks to kind of just give myself a break. And that's what I needed to kind of work on myself. And it took me a few months after that when I got out and then uh, gradually kind of worked on diet, exercise, just things you can help, meditation and stuff. And to be fair, I've had a couple of little stumbling blocks, but nothing to that ex- extent because I feel like I can kind of deal with it a bit better now. I mean, when you, your contract ended at United soon after that and you did make the move to England with Peterborough and you were playing in the Championship... There, there was things I think you've spoken about this before that there were some some interest from Premier League clubs and I mean how much interest was there for you at that point and did you decide that a fresh start like getting away from Scotland was maybe the best thing to kind of just help you deal with everything off the pitch as well? That's exactly what I thought. Like there was Aston Villa were when Alex McLeish was the manager. Aston Villa were were very keen, um, and but at that kind of level. They've got so many targets, eh? You know, I, mean, I, I might have been maybe third on the list or something. They maybe got their first two, and that kind of went a bit quiet. And then I ended up going down to Nottingham Forest, which was under Colin Calderwood, and um, thought I was going to sign there. I was really happy to sign. And then, like they said, they said they wanted to sign, they signed another guy for more money, which was fair enough. And then I went to Peterborough. Went down to speak to Darren Ferguson and uh, loved it. And I thought to myself, I could do it under him. Like, I didn't know much about Peter as a city. Now I do. Probably when they moved they moved back there in a hurry. But the football <laughs> I loved. So it was. Uh, I thought it was a good. It was the right choice at the time in the championship and stuff. So you, you ended up at Peterborough. You spent two seasons there. Five goals and seventy nine appearances. The team got relegated from the championship to League One in the first season. Second season, made the playoffs, just missed going straight back up. But the big highlight for you in that time, saw you make a little bit of history because I don't think there's probably too many Scottish players that have lifted a cup at both Hamden and Wembley. I know. This is something that somebody asked me, actually. Hey, this could be part of a quiz question mm. that could be used. So I'm not sure if anybody else has, but this was, it was, it was my missus, my brother, that said it to me. He's mad in his, his podcast and his all this football stuff, and he did say it to me. But uh, I, a lot of people say, ask me about Peterborough, did you not like it and stuff, that I didn't really work out and stuff, and I was like, I, mean, I played over 40 games in the championship, and it's like, we got relegated on the last day, the last kick of the ball of the season, and it was amazing. Even though we got relegated, it was, what an amazing season. 
And then next game season, we go and win a cup at Wembley and I ended up winning one of the Player of the Year awards. And it was amazing time at Peterborough. And people sometimes look at it and go, oh, he didn't really take... I, I overachieved it at Peterborough, considering uh, the players I was trying to get out of the team were quite with Lee Tomlins, we had Dwight Gales and all that, and I played a lot of games. So um, it worked out really great. It was the one, the move after that, that kind of never really worked out. Yeah, I, for anyone that doesn't know, the, the trophy was the EFL trophy as well. That that was one at Peterborough. But yeah, after after Peterborough, you went to Coventry. Disappointing that you said that didn't work out because I thought, what strip will I wear today? So I happen to have a Coventry City strip. And Love it. This is, they brought this out last season. It was for the 40th anniversary of Two-Tone. So it's got the little ska guy in the back and it's got like two-tone stuff on the things and down the side and it's got two-tone checkers. To be fair, even when I was even when I was at Hutchie, we used to Hutchie Vale, we used to like there used to be like Hutchie and Coventry used to like merge kind of so used a lot of boys used to go in Coventry. I went into Coventry when I was about eleven or something, and I always remember the strips that we got to wear in the trial match. And I always always loved the Coventry strips for when I was young, going up. And to be fair, it was Gordon Strachan that had me doing actually. Strachan says, and to be fair, at that age, I wasn't, a, I wasn't a, like a standout player. I was obviously really small and I wasn't great. And I went down there, it was three years I got picked to go down and Gordon Strachan said to me, he was like, listen, son, if you're that size, you've got to be special like I am. And that was it. <laughs> but to be fair, like, I'm like, that's what he was like. Hey, I ended up working with his son at Peterborough and stuff. And mm. uh, I, to be fair, the commentary thing was, was, um, I'm just going to be openly honest about it. It was it was better money. Okay, I mean it was like I got offered a new deal at Peterborough, but got offered a bit more money at Coventry. And the reason I moved to to England was to play at the highest level I can and make as much money as I can because I've no loyalty to any English team. So yeah. I thought. So um, Stephen Pesce was the manager, and I actually loved living there. We lived in Warwick, and we had our first kid there. The place was amazing. Played the first few games, done all right. Then couldn't really get consistency in my game at all, and I just just struggled. Couldn't really get going. Um, and then, to be fair, Stephen says St John's wanted to take me on loan, and I just thought it was the best thing because I just wasn't getting to my level that I was before. I just thought maybe a wee change. And to be fair, Stephen was telling me about what to work on and stuff, which was good. He wasn't just sending me on loan and just saying, right, see you later. He was saying, when I want you to come back, I want you to do this, I want you to do that, work on this. And I was like, oh, brilliant, that's fine. Fair enough. Obviously, when I went in St. Johnston, President got sacked. So um, I ended up going back to our new manager. But as a place, it's probably the best place I've lived uh, in, in Warwick, down, down there. It was the most amazing place. So that every, everything around the, my whole life at that time was amazing. Football, not so great, but it was, mm. it was a nice place we were, so that helped. On the football side, I know like, I've followed kind of Coventry's story over the last few years with the fans and the stadium and everything. And I know the season after you left, it really kicked off. But were, were the sites, sort of seeds getting sown the season you were there with the fans and unrest and stuff? It was it was strange because the size of the club is incredible. Like, what a size of a club. And we were, the training centre was amazing. Like, we were turning, our first three games that I played, so I'm signing there thinking, right, so you're, obviously you're signing there, you're Googling this and you're seeing the Rico Arena and that, and you're like, oh, this is unbelievable. And then you're playing, you're playing at Northampton for four games. 
Northampton Town when they fans. You've got like 3,000 fans standing outside the stadium protesting. I'm like, this is madness. And then we ended up getting back into the Rico. So it was just a mad, like, see, the thing is, the owners obviously put a lot of money in because there was boys in on, on big money. So they were paying well. I just didn't understand all politics. Yeah, I just went, trained, played, didn't really understand it all. Uh, but then we got into the Rico Arena, the first game was against Germany, about 30, 30 or 1,000 fans there. It was incredible. What an atmosphere. And then after that, I just kind of dwindled down again. I'll get 12,000 and that. It was just a crazy, crazy kind of club. But what a club. But now they're in the championship, they could go, could go like, if they really give it a go, what a club. I mean, I was a little boy. They were like top flight. And it's like they were in the 80s. They were a team that they were in the cup final in the 80s at one point. I had a look at their, who, what players were on Coventry as well. The, the two seasons you were there. Holy shit, what a lot of players they had. I've never seen that many players for a season. It was mental. Um, do, you know the, do you know the funny thing is, when I, went, when I was at, when Mowbray obviously got the job when I went back, back from loan, and obviously, massive. He was massive. I used to go and watch his Hibs teams, and I was thinking, "Oh, this could be great for me." And then um, went down there, and he didn't really care who I was. <laughs> like the first day, and I'm thinking, "Right, this is this could be a bit, mm. this could be a bit strange." And then, so I trained really well, played pre-season, and uh, started the season really well. And then, I kind of. I got out the team, fell out the team, it's in and out, in and out, and I was thinking, oh, I find that really difficult. And then I went to try and get him to sign David Goodwillie for Coventry, because he was getting released at Blackburn. And he was asking me, he was like, all right, what's he like as a guy? And I was like, he's brilliant. And he's like, he's had a bit of, of off-field problems and stuff. He was like, all right, what country is he from? So he didn't really know much about him. He was like, he's Scottish. And he was like, oh, but we've already got three Scottish players. Because we've got John Fleck, Jim O'Brien, and me. And I was like, I was like, ah, is that all right? He was like, no, too many Scottish players isn't good. And then I was thinking to myself, right, well, Jim O'Brien's going to play. John Fleck's the best player. I was like, I'm out of here. So yeah, I he kind of just said to me that I wasn't really needed. And that's why I went back up to, to St. Johnston. So it was a bit, it was a bit, um, actually, I went to, I went to Hearts after that. Um, it was a bit of a strange one from somebody that I, I really looked up to, to be honest. What? Well, that's mental. <laughs> No. It's not like he, he, he had a limit on international players, but there we go. So, I mean, you can't have too many Scottish players in your team, I'll tell you that. Man, any manager will tell you that. Oh, fucking hell. Anyway, so we'll, we'll move on. There's a question I want to ask you now. I've, like I said, I did a wee bit of stalking you today, and I see that you're a Man United fan just like I am. So what was it like to play under Darren Ferguson? Did he have any of the sort of characteristics of his dad? He was amazing for me personally. As a... He just made me play the game a completely different way. Like, I always going to be Craig Levine, how his man management skills and how he came across and what he'd done for me as a career, as, as my career is around everything, basically. But as a player, Darren Ferguson took my game to a different level altogether. He used to, he loved playing this diamond in midfield and we would interchange and see some teams like we would, we'd demolish Redden, who were in the, the championship 6 1 and stuff. And we were demolishing teams. We were. And the, the way he just had this philosophy, just playing, and it suited me to a tee. And he just took my game to a completely different level. And uh, we actually played Leighton Orient in the... Was it Leighton Orient? Aye. No, it wasn't. It was... We played somebody before a game at the semi-final of the playoffs. And 
we're waiting on the manager coming and we're all sitting there. We're all like, where is he? We should be, Ken, at least Alex Ferguson walks in. So we've all sat there like that. Oh, what, what, what? So Alex Ferguson's giving the team talk. So it wasn't like a team talk. It was like, this is obviously the way he works. He was talking about family. He was talking about your school days. He didn't really talk much about the game. He just gave you this kind of feeling he just wanted to do well. And we ended up winning. We ended up going through. It was, but what seen it? So he's basically, Darren didn't even come to the chain room, just sent his dad in. And he knew the effect that it would, it would have. And um, to be fair, I still speak to Darren now and again. Uh, just messaging like every few months and I messaged him how his dad was and stuff and right away messaging back and I top top guy like wow it's amazing like I'd, I'd want to I'd have probably as soon as that had happened just to went look I'll retire like that's oh, just been okay. getting over <laughs> me <laughs> so Kenny Kenny's autobiography book that he, he brought he brought he brought a couple eh? but then yeah. he signed all in for my kids and all that like uh, I said to Darren can you get a few of these signed in that and he was like, I only if they're to somebody. Because yeah. obviously they're worried about selling. I was like, ah, I was just yeah. my kids and my dad. So I got these all these books signed and he always put a, he put a wee message in each of them. Kind of a, a wee personal message and that. And I just think, um, like, just obviously your dad, like you used to always say it to me, Darren did always say about, like, I'm here, I'm, I'm still learning, but I'm learning for the best manager in the world. You know what I mean? He used to always yeah. say things, I'll make mistakes, but I'm learning. It will not be a better place because I'm learning for the, and he's, he's right, the best manager ever lived, basically. And there's arguments with that, but I like to say yes, so. Yeah, it, you and me both. It's tough for him, though, because when you've, like, you're the son of the best manager ever, so you have to follow in his footsteps as a manager, so whatever you do is never going to be good enough. Never, never. But to be fair, as a manager, he was spot on, like, like I've come, I've played under some managers, and thinking, "Geez, oh, like how, how did you even get your badges?" But him, even when he joined in training, he was class and just, he was so good. Even when I wasn't in the team for a while, no, the first six games I ever played in the championship, and obviously I had that doubt again. I was like, got Lee Tomlins and stuff in front of me. How am I going to play in this team? And then he would take me in, put me sitting in, because I would didn't, I didn't go knock on doors and that. I would. He would take me in and say, just bide your time, bide your time. And I'm thinking, all right, they all say that. Lee Tomlin ended up getting sent off in a game. He was like, pulled me in. He was like, right, you're going to play the next six games no matter what. Because it's hard kind of going into, being at the team, going into a game and, and maybe playing, thinking, oh, I could have a nightmare here in the next again game. And it's playing on your mind. But as he said, he obviously knows this as a player as well. He says, six games, no matter how you play, you're going to play no matter what. And I didn't leave the team after that. And... It was just these wee hangs that he'd done, and he was just, just he just made me see the game in a different way, just completely as a, as a midfielder. To be fair, I, had some decent strikers as well, to be fair, it helped. I don't know if you'll know this, you should ask around at the club, but East Fife actually played Man United in 1995 in a testimonial game. And Fergie came up, and it was a team that had Beckham and Scholes and Bruce. I think I remember it. It was I like, think I remember talk, like, talking about it or something. Uh, it was like unbelievable. It was at the old Bay View, and the players. I I used to do these five fanzine, so the players were all arriving. So I was giving all the Man United players a free fanzine, and then I gave one to Alex Ferguson, and he thought I was trying to get his autograph, so he signed it, and then I was like, "Oh no, it was for you to read." So then I gave him another one. So I've still got that fanzine signed by Alex Ferguson. Superb, perfect. 
you obviously had your loan spell at St. Johnson during your time at Coventry and then you moved, made your move back up to Scotland on transfer deadline day, joining Harps. So there's a mate I work with who'll be listening to this, Martin, who's a, a massive jambo. Um, and he said to me that he had to ask, you know, did you enjoy your time at Harps because you looked like you hated it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a loaded question. But by the way, I'll take you back first, right? Because the deadline day was crazy, right? Yeah. So basically I'd been told I could go, right? And so I didn't actually sign for Harps on the deadline day. What happened was I was getting paid up at, I had a year left on my contract, so I was getting paid up a year, I was getting paid up roughly a year's salary um, from Coventry. So basically, I went into training, um, didn't train. Uh, Tony was, Tony Mowbray was like, right, just wait here until after training, we'll get everything sorted and stuff. So training finishes, and there's a young lad who lived beside me, and he was like, Danny, would you be able to just drop me off home and that my dad can't pick me up? And I was like, I was like, no problem in that. So I took him home, got a phone call. Uh, I was stuck in traffic and got a phone call for this receptionist woman. She was like, where are you? I was like, oh, I'm about 15 minutes away. I'm stuck in traffic. And she was like, well, you need to be here in the next five minutes or you can't, you, this can't go through. So I'm panicking. I'm in traffic. I'm like, what do you mean? He was like, well, it's a deadline. I was like, oh, no, it was a six-scope deadline or something. And so I'm nearly crying in my car. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to lose all this money and stuff. Um, got there late, obviously, it was like 20 minutes late. Went into the room and they were all just fuming. And I went, what's... And they were like, you can't do it. That's it, you're stuck here. I was like, no, nah, no way. And then so the women phoned up the PFA and tried to figure someone out. And they found figured out that if I took the payoff, then I can't play for another team in England that season. So I thought to myself, right, I'll just go back, take the money, go back to Scotland. Um, and then I had St. John's on the phone. I tried to go to Hibs. Hibs had signed Fraser Fivey. And then Craig Levine got in touch with my agent. But Craig wasn't the manager, so. But I was delighted. I was like, aye, brilliant. I was absolutely delighted. Um, I actually went on a trial with him, to be fair. I went on a trial with him. Done the trial, wanted to sign me. And I was so happy to sign. And I knew it was going to be hard because I've said things in the past about hearts, as you do. And I was thinking, how's the fans going to take to me? And they took to me really well, considering. And to be brutally honest with you, I just, I was just shy. I just found it really hard. I was just shy. And if you're shy and the fans didn't like you in the first place, then it's going to be even harder to turn them around. And I just couldn't. And anything I'd done just didn't work. So it wasn't about being... At the end of it, I wasn't interested. At the end of it, I just wanted to go. I was like, this isn't working. It was, it's probably the, the worst move I could have made. But I wanted to try because they're a massive club. And it's just one of the things when you're trying things and you can't do anything right. And that's one of the moves that just never worked out. And I wouldn't say, I'm obviously gutted for my personal, but if there's one team I probably didn't do my best for, I'm glad it was Hearts. <laughs> it's going to sound terrible, but it's, it's no way I did try. Um, there was actually a game I played I actually went through a wee, a wee blip in my, my depression then as well it was more anxiety anxiety driven I was anxious all the time there was actually a game we were playing Sky Sports News against Dundee uh, Sky Sports against Dundee United and then before the game I was fucked I was like toiling I was sitting in the toilet in the cubicle I was like I can't play man 
took two diazepam before the game. I think they were like five, so I took 10 milli diazepam before the game because I was that nervous. 20 minutes of the game, my legs just went, couldn't feel my legs. And then I think that was the thing, that was the point where I thought to myself, nah, I've got to go, like, because there's nothing I can do here, I'm just toiling. And uh, I was just shite. <laughs> I was just shite. Just didn't, <laughs> couldn't do nothing. Couldn't do nothing. And then I started getting felt for the home fans, and that's never a good sign. No, definitely not. Uh, you probably thought yeah, Hibs so- had sent you in as a double agent. Well, <laughs> actually, people actually thought, thought that I wasn't trying because I was a Hibs fan. But I tried too hard. That was a problem. Yeah, you tried too hard to compensate for that. Mm. It just never worked out for me. Well, I don't, th- I don't imagine you'll feel too guilty about it, but at least you got your spell, your spell back at St. Johnson. So that was more than a permanent deal. Um, how did you enjoy St. Johnson then? Because, I mean, they're a club that I've, I've kind of got a bit of a soft spot for because I, I see a lot of similarities in East Fife and, and St. Johnson in terms of sort of like a community club, really, really passionate fan base. So, I mean, obviously, you, you must like it there because it's essentially your home away from home, I think, St. Johnson, isn't it? I think three spells there, so. It is. That was the... In my first game for St. Johnston, I got booed off from my own fans. Obviously, Dundee things happened and uh, I played at Queen of South and I had an absolute nightmare. Hadn't trained with the team, only signed on the Friday, started on the Saturday and had an absolute nightmare. Uh, and that was my first that was my first loan spell and I ended up going to the car and to my dad, I was like, just take me back down to Coventry. I just want to go back. So anyway, that, and then the second the spell when I actually signed, that was the best the best season to date. Like I couldn't do no wrong. Like I scored not every scored loads of goals and everything I done just worked. And it was just playing with a freedom and having a good team that's wanting to work work so hard and then giving me the kind of freedom to go and try and create and score. And it, it was and Tommy was brilliant for me as well. He kind of just let me do what I wanted to do obviously track back when I needed to, but at times exploit spaces and, and, and punish teams. And, and that season was just amazing. Like, none could go wrong. So, I mean, in between your time there, you, you got to go and play for Hibs. Now, like, as an East Fife fan, nothing would make me happier than to, than to pull on the shirt and, and play a, a game for the team that I love. What was that like? Because, I mean, obviously, no, being a Hibby, you know, coming out, sunshine on leaf, all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, like, that, Surely, you know, even winning the, the Scottish Cup, it must be top, but that must be a close second. Definitely, definitely. And it's going to sound like a sob story, this whole thing, like, but um, the first four months of my career at Hibs, I felt absolutely nothing. And I wasn't down, I wasn't depressed, I just felt nothing because I'd lost my mate at New Year and that kind of dragged on and I just was grieving for so long and I didn't really know I was. So I wasn't really enjoying actually being at training and, Enjoy when I signed for Hibs, it was the best feeling ever. But I didn't actually get that feeling of actually loving being there because I felt kind of guilty. Kind of things. My mate we used to go to the games together, and end up losing him and January, and then we had to do the trial at the court and stuff, and that dragged on. And then, but once I got going, I loved it. I didn't really get a run of games that I thought I should have, but I played enough. Enough. I scored a goal, and it's one of them that's that's. It was a, we had some team, some midfield to try and break into, and I played enough games to say that I loved every minute of it, really. Um, a couple of, couple of um, falling outs when they were learning and stuff, but never held grudges. And it was just an amazing feeling scoring for Hibs and playing Easter Road in front of your, in front of your mates and your family. It was, um, 
part for the Scottish Cup, that's that's definitely up there. Like, I thought that would be the case. Aye. So you're quite elusive on social media. Is that due to just trying to keep yourself away from football when you're outside of football and, and sort of focus on your mental health? Basically, I try and um, I try and stay off social media. Basically, to be honest, I like to share things with my family and stuff, and I like to. I didn't like to get too caught up on it because I think when I was younger, I used to, you'll get comments from people that will be negative and stuff. And you used to get caught up in all these things. You didn't get me wrong, you get so many people that are so good with you on social media, but it's always these negative ones that kind of, kind of keep in your head to play around with. So I, I didn't really like to, to post too much about football because it's kind of, it gives people a chance to give you a wee bit of, give you a wee bit, whereas, now I'm kind of on social media a bit more because I've got a couple of businesses that I run and I've kind of need it. Now these days you kind of need social media. But for the football side of it, like I like following my friends, my teams, but I get a lot, I see a lot of football players that follow other football players that they didn't even know. And I just think that's not something I would ever do. Um, I kind of just like to keep it close in that and um, my, my, my Instagram's open to anybody. But um, I didn't really share too much on it. Yeah, I've seen that. It was quite, you know, quite the, the posts were quite few and far between from, from what I've seen. Well, this brings us right up to date, 2020. Uh, you're at East Fife now. Last season with St Johnston, I know you had some injuries and the season gets cut short. COVID comes in. It's uncertain for everyone what's happening just in life, never mind like Scottish football and then your contract ends in May. At that point in time, what was going through your mind? You talked off the top about having a lot of interest, but with everything that had happened and then your contract ended, did you see it as a fresh opportunity or was there concerns of what am I going to do now? There was concerns, aye, because I know I knew I was never going to make the money that I've made before. Which is fine. So I kind of came to that came to that point when I when I wasn't playing at St Johnson. I was thinking, right. So I set up my own financial business about three years ago. So that was something I concentrated on doing when I was injured. That I actually got injured, and uh, I thought, right, I'm going to start something. So I've been doing that. So that's kind of kind of runs itself. So knowing that I had that, and I was thinking, I always wanted to kind of get get back into coaching kids and stuff. So I thought to myself. Do I go full-time, play for a club that's... Because the only clubs that were interested full-time were quite far away. Mm. And was it really worth doing that? Money-wise, definitely not. Just to play in the, the, the SPL where I've already played for so many years, I've done it. So I thought to myself, no, nah, I think part-time's the way to go now. And this is when I thought, right, if I go part-time, I can concentrate on this football academy that I'm starting. And... That and then I can kind of concentrate on football just for football. Whereas at St Johnson or this, whereas it's every day, every single day, you're, it's football, 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 football. Whereas now I can have a wee break for football Tuesday, train as hard as I can on a Tuesday, eat properly during the week because obviously I'm not training as much because I've got to concentrate more on that now, which is something that's probably going to benefit me in the long run. Train on the Thursday again, give everything get a bit of a rest and then play on Saturday. And I just think it works out perfectly for me. Like training in Edinburgh, um, 
met the boys, amazing. And it was just something that me and my missy spoke about, were like, I could stay full time and just, I know people have done it, I know because I know a lot of players that have struggled to get a club that have just took the opportunity to just take any deal they can get mm. just to say they're a professional football player and they're playing in the SPL. And that's, maybe when I was 25, I'd want to do that, but I'm 33 now, I'm no, I'm no one to just say, oh, I'm doing that just because I'm a football player. I want to play every week and I want to win. You know what I mean? I'm no here just to... Because I can imagine when I, when I when Hibs sign as a fan, when Hibs sign 33-year-olds, you're thinking, why are you signing a 33-year-old? Come at the end of their career and that, but I, I do everything for my bairns and I want my bairns to come and watch me playing and do well. And I want to show them videos of me playing. Even when I'm 33, I want to... I still know I can do it at the SPL level, never mind in League One. So. I'll keep myself fit and it's something that I want to bring to the team and I know we've got a lot of good players there and I want to just bring a mentality, we want, we can win this, we can we can go up. There's obviously Partick and there's Cove and there's Falkirk and that but they're not going to be, they're not going to be great teams, you know what I mean, compared to us. We're all going to be very similar, it's just whether you can, you've got the mentality to kind of try and win every single game. Obviously you're not going to do that but go into the game knowing we can win this, you know what I mean and that's something, like I even heard a couple of the boys at training at pre-season thinking, oh, Falkirk will be strong and stuff and that. And I'm thinking to myself, obviously I was new, so I didn't say much, but I'm thinking to myself, we can't be worrying about other teams in this mm. league. Like, that's not the way you can go into games. So, for what I've seen for the boys, we should be fine. But you didn't want to just be fine, eh? you want to push it. Eh? So, yeah. um, it's something, when I signed, it's something that um, I speak to Kev a lot, because Kev Kev's really passionate, Kev Smith's really passionate about football. He's, he's 33, but we've kind of got the same mindset. We wanted as well as we can. We've been brought up for the same kind of similar areas. We want to just improve all the time and we want to, want to do well in life. Eh? And it doesn't matter what age you are, you just want to keep, keep doing better and better. Yeah, because I, I remember reading a, an interview with you from the evening news, I think in June, and you were talking about you still thought you could play another two or three years in the Premier, and I, I don't doubt for a minute that you could. But we've also had like Darren Young on the show and Gary Naismith, and they've talked about they think there's going to be more of this. There's going to be more full-time players that are thinking, you know what? It's not worth the hassle. I need some stability right now. And a, a decent paying part-time club with a part-time job or a full-time job, and that sets you up better than this, the stresses of... Totally, totally. I had this conversation with one of the boys that have done the same thing, and it's it just feels so much less stressed, even though... You've got a job as a full-time voter player, but now it's a chance for boys to kind of concentrate on after football as well. You know what I mean? Like you can do your stuff playing football, but you, there's once you stop playing full-time football, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? You're just kind of clinging on to something, but it's going to come. It's going to come. You're just kind of clinging on to it. And I think it's right. I think a lot of players now, I think the leagues below get even stronger because a lot of players will do this. Mm. And I've been, I've been watching the SPL now, and I think. The, apart from Rangers and Celtic, maybe Hibs as well, the standard has dropped dramatically, I think. Like, dramatically watching it, I'm thinking, wow. Like, I remember being, like, playing against your, the Celtic Rangers would blow these teams away, like, and it's just, I think it's going to even itself out, and it's, it's just the uncertainty of everything. Nobody knows what's going on, and um, I think people, players will start thinking that as well, and this is why I started this business as well, to help players with, with the financial stuff because it's, there's not really much help put there from the SFA or it's a bit different in England but in the SFA there's nothing really 
PFA, it's a wee bits and bobs, but we're, we're trying to do something with a lot. Of, we're doing a lot of players at the moment. We've got over 30 players that we help day to day, and this is the problem they're coming to. Like, they don't know what to do. You know what I mean? This is why we're trying to help them. So um, it's going to come to them, and that's the reason I've kind of took the step now to to do it now. And um, I, I'm looking for. I'm still my thing. My, my main focus is playing football. Still, it always will be until I can stop. I stop playing, but um, it's good to have other things in, in line as well. Oh, definitely. I like the financial side of it as well. Like over here in MLS. That's one thing they really look after the players off the pitch. The players' union, the league itself, they they do this financial stuff with them. They have seminars with them. They do the mental health stuff with them. They coach them on how to do media stuff, like not just as interviews, but like post-game, like post-career. Also, it's like they, they look at getting education for them. They put them through college courses and stuff like that. We're so far behind in Scotland when I see what we're doing over here. We've got, we've got obviously Chris Higgins is obviously in the PFA. He, to be fair, since he's came on board, he's trying to push a lot of this stuff, and I think it's a lot of hard work for him because he's he's having to trying to get these courses and stuff. But this should have happened years ago. Mm-hmm. This should have happened years ago. And for so many years, we've just been ticking boxes. Oh, mental health. Well, we'll have a wee chat about that. We're right. We've chatted about that. That's fine. Cross that out. Or we can offer a player oh this much three hundred pound towards a course. Right. At least we've said we've done that. That's what it is. It's not really. Pushing, pushing them to help them. It's just basically looking after themselves. Oh, we've done this. That's us. We'll be safe. And I'm, I'm no one for to bite my tongue like. And it's something that I'm passionate about because players just get forgotten about. Once you're out of contract, that's it. So they need to be looked after. Eh? No. I actually spoke to um, before I signed for. Who did I sign for? Uh, I think I went back to St Johnston. I spoke to uh, who was it? San, oh, American team. San Jose? No, well, I spoke to them before Peterborough. I spoke to them before Peterborough, but it was too, I thought it was too early. It was Sacramento. Sacramento. Oh, they were in the USL, yeah. I spoke to them, what was that, two years ago? And it, it, was, a, it was mental, because I've always wanted to go to America. And I had this big Skype meeting with the, the owner. It was crazy. Some big like American guy loving it. And uh, they were saying, we want to bring you over. And they, see the things they were offering me? No money-wise, but they were offering me the opportunity to be a coach there and play for two years, be a coach. And they were like, who's coming over with you? And I was like, oh, my wife and two kids. They were like, right, we've got an apartment there for you, two cars. They, they, they couldn't have done any more for me. And then kind of a bit of stumbling block at the time when I was actually going to sign, but I never actually materialised. But see the amount of effort they put in. And they ended up getting the MLS, didn't they? So Yeah, they're joining in a couple of years, so they're not they're not in yet. But I mean, that, that uh, would have been a fantastic uh, move. They to me, they're like, a five-year plan and then noticed that they were getting in so it was brilliant but you're you're here with us now there was rumors you might have gone to kelty and there was conservatories on offer can you confirm that aye there was an offer there aye um i spoke to the manager and to be fair the offer was really good to be fair but the offer was really good um the only thing was was when i spoke to spoke to darren was the obviously still been in league one and I don't know, like Barry Ferguson obviously is a top player and um, he actually made one of my best 11s. So, but uh, I just felt I wasn't ready to drop right out of the leagues, to be honest. I wasn't ready for that. Like, I couldn't go for the Premier League dropping right out. I wouldn't have, my, mm. I wouldn't have been happy with that. And, and um, I would say the money was better at Kelty 
But you're probably not surprised about that because yeah, can offer some money. You know what I mean? But uh, I just felt nah. I just didn't. Not that I never fancied it because uh, I was quite happy to listen to anybody. But I wasn't going to turn my nose up at them and say nah. I'm not speaking to them. I spoke to them and I just thought East Fife was a better option. I just just kind of everything clicked really. Yeah, when we spoke to Fash last week, who's obviously at, at Kelty just now, it, it baffles me that these guys, not the players but the owners, are wanting to put this amount of money into Scottish football at that level. Because only one of these teams could even possibly make the league. I, I don't see how that's sustainable at all. Well, it's, we'll, still, we'll see if it's sustainable or not. That's the question. Aye. Darren's put together a, a good squad this year. We've, we've seen three friendlies so far, two wins, the Hearts game, which I know is a little bit of an anomaly because of the strong side that Hearts played. Now, you're a versatile player and you've played a lot of different roles in your career. We know you can play anywhere across the uh, the attack. Watching the highlights of the Steny game, the prospect of like uh, you, Wallace and Hamilton up front seemed a very exciting possible front three. Where do you see yourself ideally fitting into the team this year? I know it's Darren's choice, but where do you see that you'd benefit us best? Well, when I spoke to Darren, when I never really spoke about positions and stuff. I didn't, to be honest, I didn't really know what formation these five played. Obviously, not seen much of them and stuff. Um, but my preferred position is left, right off the left, midfield, attacking left, mid, or whatever. But at, at an age I'm at now, I can I can play in the centre as well, you know what I mean? I, it's it's obviously if you've got somebody in there with me that's that's obviously like like Davidson that can do the dirty work and stuff like that, and obviously got Agnew as well. Like there's obviously ways that you can tinker it a little bit, but I think with we've got so many players that can play in such different positions. I think I've, that's what I've noticed. There's a lot of players that are very comfortable on the ball. So there's different obviously different different teams for different teams to go and play. But I think there's so many changes we can do, eh? uh, and we've got such an attacking threat against them this year. Like we could have scored every attack the way we were, we were like everybody's comfortable on the ball, and it was it was it was such a just felt so comfortable, and it shouldn't have been that comfortable, really, considering it was only really our first game, and we just kind of all clicked. And um, I think it's testament to Darren to putting such a good squad together because I was I've been very impressed with a lot of the players, like. Like a lot of the players. I remember Gary Naismith when when he came to us. He, obviously, he's played at a, a similar level to to what you have, and he sort of came out and was like, "I didn't notice. He, he didn't notice as big as a drop as he thought he would drop him from the Premier League in Scotland um, down to to lead one." But I mean, I'll be honest with you, and I've I've said this in other shows. Not kissing your ass, I promise. But me saying you. I got the same level of excitement as when we signed Gary Naismith. It's a massive, massive coup for a club like us mm-hmm. to get a player that, that's got your experience. We obviously want to see see you around the club. I mean, you've signed a two-year deal, which at the time I, I couldn't and still can't believe that we've, we've managed to get you for that length of time. But where do you see yourself in a couple of years' time? Do you, do you harbour hopes that in management? Do you see yourself as a manager? Um, as a manager, I'm not sure. I would maybe... I would love to give it a bash, but it's very. I like coaching kids. Eh? I've got someone that I just like like coaching kids about seeing them improve and helping them improve. As a manager, 
I don't know, but this is the thing. Like, see, see, being East Five, it kind of gives you that opportunity. Is if you maybe want to get into that kind of thing, you've got a wee chance to maybe doing it. You know what I mean? Like I've said that to Kev Smith. I was like, Kev might not play as many games this year, but he's maybe got his eye on something, maybe coaching, and then maybe being a manager one day. And it's not something that's crossed my mind at the moment. I'm focusing on still playing at as high a level as I can, playing as well as I can. But you just never know. Eh? You just never know. So if I'm there for a long enough time, um, like obviously I'd, I'd like to say this is probably going to be my last club. I didn't see him moving anywhere else. Um, I would have signed a four-year deal if they offered me, you know what I mean? So it's not like I'm, I'm kind of here for the long run. And after the two years, you never know. I'd like to I'd like to say I've still got enough three, four years left. So um, if all goes to plan, I'll still be here and then Hopefully Darren's no because that means we've done well. Because um, you know, I mean, it sounds rubbish, but it's he's a young manager as well, and he'll be hoping he can manage at the top level. And yeah, absolutely. If we're doing our job, right? helping him do that, then it's good for the club. Yeah. And then somebody else steps in, and it's just a big revolving wheel. So um, maybe one day, maybe one day, I don't know. But coaching the kids at the moment's my main aim, and it's something that I feel in Scottish football are just so far behind international level and I just I kind of want to try and change in Edinburgh anyway the way we, we were coaching and some bringing some decent Edinburgh players through because we're just we're just so far behind yeah if you could do that in Fife as well mate that'd be great um, we'd be really grateful for that <laughs> I mean, it, it would be I'd, I'd love to see <laughs> I, I know I keep harboring on how things are over here but like at the Whitecaps here in Vancouver they've got pre-academy and then they've got all these under 11, under 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, up to 19 age groups. Uh-huh. And it's like they've got top quality coaches. So many of the coaches yeah. have all got UEFA licenses. And it's like we're so far behind in Scotland. See the finance. See the Americans that come over and do it because all the Americans come over and do our coaching badges. And see all the Americans, because I've, I've been on them and I'm, I'm like, the Americans are better than us. Like they're actually better than us. I mean, they might talk in a different kind of manner and the way they talk and that, but they, they're better than us and we're trying to teach them how to coach. It yeah. just doesn't make sense to me, yeah. And we're going to, we're doing the same badges every year. Do this and you'll pass this. Do that. Do anything different? Oh, no, we didn't want that. It's just, something needs to change. And it's Belgium, Germany have done it. They've stopped. They've started again. It took them 10 years, but look at them now. Something needs to change. We kind of keep, we kind of just keep doing the way we're doing. Like, come on. What we'll do is, is, is I'm going to patch one of the last questions we had for you because you, you're on a topic that I'm really, really passionate about, which is the, the national level game. And, and you see us being left behind by nations with a fraction of our population, you know, the Icelands, Northern Ireland, Wales in recent years. You know, these teams, that, aside the Gareth Bale at Wales, don't have a superstar, but yet they seem to do so much better. When you think about the coaches that the, the Scottish games produced over the years, you know, Sir Alex, um, Stephen Clarks, I mean, Stephen Clarks is the national team manager now, but it was at Chelsea under Jose Mourinho, Alex McLeish is managing the Premier League. We've had so many managers managing the Premier League, David Moyes. That seems to be dwindling majorly, yeah. you know, yeah. if you look at the, the top jobs. Yeah. Is that because, you know, our, our national game is farcical? A lot of the top players aren't going into management or aren't getting the opportunity to go into management. If we said to you, Danny Swanson, pitch, what could you do or what would you do to change the game? Do, do you know what I'm a big believer in? And it's something that all the foreign teams do for when they're really young. You're in Yester started that, your Messi's, all these 
was futsal. Futsal was massive yeah. for, for all these countries. Yeah. And I, th I would think schools start futsal. I mean, they've got the yeah. hall there, everything's on the ground, everything's touched, touched. Every other, every other country we play against, they're all technically much better than us. And how is that? Yeah. So that's what I would do. I would start futsal for a very young age and I'd work it up to, I would work it up to 16-year-olds. Obviously, I'd play 16-year-olds in normal-sized games and that, but I'd keep them in the futsal. Everything, everything around that, that's what I would do. But it's just, some, it's got to come to a point where coaching's got to change. Like, we've, yeah. we can, we're looking at our team now, like, they're all good players. Like, your Cal McGregor's a quality player, but, we're so easy to play against. Like, we've got to look at Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland doesn't know what the players we've got, but they didn't struggle as much as we do. We're a horrible yeah. team to watch, and we shouldn't be. And yeah. I don't know, I think, we've come, and I think it goes against everything I believe in, but we've got to go back to being hard to beat because we're just too nice. We're so nice. We get the ball, we touch his passes and that. And the Kieran Tierney, the Andy Robertson thing, play one of them. Stop mucking them. Yeah. One, of them one, one of them play. I mean, you can't just move them because they're a brilliant player. No, move them. You can't. That's what you said last week, Lee. That, that's no, literally man. word for word what I said last week. Yeah. We're obviously two peas for the same pod. <laughs> well, your football like... pedigree is much better than mine. But I mean, <laughs> for, for, for me, you know, I, I think that as a, as a nation, watching us, like you said, is absolutely horrible. I think we play such negative tactics we lack a striker. Um, you know, I know that McBurney's playing to a good level. I don't understand how we've got boys like John McGinn, Fleck, you know, these boys that are technically probably our two best footballers as in on the ball. Mm -hmm. And, and we, we don't create chances. No. I, I, I don't understand it. You know I mean? John, John McGinn is one of the best passers of the ball Scotland have produced, and I couldn't tell you how long. And we don't create anything up, like further up the park. No. No, I think it's just like, it, this is the thing, like obviously Steve Clark's got this thing where he's, he's having his three centre halves and that, and, and managers are stubborn, eh? you know what I mean? Yeah. But as I think, I'm not trying to say, tell him how to do his job, but change it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's not working. Because it. we're creating absolutely nothing, we're not defensively strong, so what is the whole purpose in it? Yeah. I mean, like London Dykes been up front with nobody near him, it's crazy, nobody near him. Yeah. And I mean, he's a player that, you know, he's done really, really well. He's he started off at Queen's Park Rangers really well. You know, call traditional, call me whatever, right? International football, play 4-4-2. We're not yeah. Liverpool, we're not City, we're, we're not Spain, you know, we're not, we're not filled with, with flair players. Play 4-4-2, have a left back, have a right back, have a left winger, have a right winger, and then let your creative players in the middle do their best to get it to two boys up front to score. There you go. That's my personal That's opinion. Football. Stop complicating it. No, exactly. Do you know, do you know what it should do? Give Darren Ferguson the job. Give him a bash. Young manager, yeah. give him. I know he's had his ups and downs and that, just give him it. Because we're just, it's just like a sort of big, big circle, man. Who's going to get it next? Going to go back to McLeish again or whatever, I don't know. Yeah. Just a big mad circle, so try it's something jobs different. for the boys though, isn't it? Aye. That's the that's the national team. It's, yeah. it's jobs for the boys. But also, know, that's also the team selection because it's like there's a guy. I I guess you actually have played with him, Danny at Dundee United, Johnny Russell. Yeah. So he's over here with Sporting Kansas City. I just looked at his stats: twenty four goals, twenty assists, and seventy appearances in a top league. And he struggles to get a start. And when he does, he doesn't look good because he's playing with players 
that aren't on the level that he's playing with over here. So then he looks bad. He's, he's, when Johnny plays, Johnny, you could see the way they're wanting Johnny to play. You could get somebody, you could get somebody for any league to play the way they want Johnny to play because you want Johnny up the field, shooting, creating things. But every time I watch him playing for Scotland, he's like a wing back. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, what's the point in playing Johnny Russell there? No point in playing him. Play somebody else, play somebody that can run. Because if you're going to play that, there's no point in playing Johnny. And Johnny's a good player. Yeah. And oh, McBurney, yeah. another one. You know, McBurney's banging him in the Premier League. He's not a player that I rate massively. Personally, watching him, I, I find him difficult to watch. But what he does get is results. Why mm. are we playing to our best player's strengths? Baffles me. But anyway, that I could talk all night about that. I genuinely I could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll have you on for part two when we just slate the national team. But look, I've got one more question to ask. In fact, two more, and then we'll do your all-time 11s. So we got a question in from a Mr. K. Smith um, when we said that you were coming on um, from Edinburgh, and he said that he wanted to ask you about the time that you passed Craig Levine on the motorway. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, uh, so basically, we, at, um, at Dundee United, we had, to get, we had to stay in digs. So me and K. Smith... Uh, we're staying in the same digs and we weren't able to go home if we were training the next game day. So we got caught a couple of times doing it and Craig Levine wouldn't miss you. Like he would, he'd leave it a couple of days and you think he'd got away with it and they'd just destroy you. And he was a <laughs> big, scary, scary guy. And then, um, so this one time we sneaked him in and then on the way back up the road in the morning, we were on the, we were on the, um, the fourth road bridge and Kev's driver, and I'm in the passenger seat, and he's kind of just noticed Craig Levine's car, and he's like, he's like, Swanny, Craig Levine's gone past, and I thought he was joking, I was like, no, turned around, it was him, and I, I swear, <laughs> I hit the ground, I was under the seat, <laughs> Kev's, Kev's just like straight faced, Craig Levine just drove past, didn't even clock us, but he's fit, he honestly, it was this, all the whole drive up, I was, and we were just like, we were getting sacked, that's it, we're done, we've ruined it, it was honestly the funniest thing, I've ever seen in my life. Like at the time, it was the scariest. But looking back, what his face was brilliant. His face was. So he never even seen you. No, he never. He was so like straight face. If he, all he'd done is look to the side, that was it. We were done. He just quarter mile an hour on the on the thingway as well. It took so long for him to go past. And he never looked. Oh, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. Did you have the whole asshole going ten p five behind? Oh. <laughs> It was that. Aye, it was horrible. It was horrible. Superb. And then we had another question from Aaron Dunsmore. I'll not be so quite so secretive about this. So I put it out to our social media to say, look, we've got Danny Swanson on the show. What do you want to ask? And he said, if you're about 40 yards out from the green and the, and pin, the, the pins at the back hole, what club would you use? <sighs> All I talk about is golf, eh? so uh, yeah. I've got a wee 56 degree degree that I've had for the last 10 years. I would never change it. And I would just, look, I would be like a Phil Mickelson flop shot and I would get it within about, I'm, I'm, my radius is about three foot. I'm very, very good with it. So that's not a problem I've got on the golf course. But to be fair, I was supposed to be playing golf in the morning, but he shot himself, so... <laughs> He says that you play off an eight, so he probably has absolutely bottled it. 
But nice. there we go. Well, thanks for answering those questions for us. Nice. And finally, I'll be honest with you, I've been looking forward to this all day. You've already mentioned one of the players you've played with. And to be honest, it's, it's kind of ruined one of the things I was looking forward to on your 11s. But we'll go with them anyway. Yeah, this should so, be good. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. So we'll start off with your all-time 11 played with, Danny. Played with. And goals was a tricky one. Um, I, I ended up going with Dusan Pernas. He was a goalkeeper for a Scottish Cup team. But about Dusan was, he was a monster, but he was the quietest guy ever, but he never dived unless he really had to. Like he would save everything, but he would catch that. He would never punch the boy, he would catch everything. And he wouldn't make big dramatic dives within the half day. He was just a, such a solid goalie. And to win the Scottish Cup with him as well, he was amazing goalie. And I don't know what he's doing now. I don't know who he's plays for now, but he was just so quiet and such a lovely guy. And as a, as a goalie, he was, he was uh, way at him when nobody won that cup. Mike's already a way to Google who he's playing for. Aye. I could read him like a book. <laughs> right, next yeah, one. Right back. I'm going for Stephen Whitaker, right? I didn't play with him at his, at his top top um, level, but even playing with him when he was 34, what a player. Like, both-footed. His physical attributes were incredible. And such a top pro and I remember watching all these years at Hibs when he, before he left and he was always one I thought obviously had your Thompsons and your Browns and that but Whitaker was always one that stood out for me and to train me on and I'm a good pal of him to be fair and it's maybe swayed it a little bit but um, if Hibs could if, if Hibs could uh, I'm very surprised to have Hibs let him go just there because what he brings to the changing room and stuff um, he's s- such a top guy and Still keeps him selling great neck and both feet. Tremendous player. Uh, Going to get to play in a Europa League final with being a good player. Uh, there you go. You know, there how you many go. caps has he got for Scotland as well? That's and if if you fans are on it to Bayview. Aye, maybe aye. If you were to meet him in the <laughs> you would never have believed that he's played in the Europa Cup final. He's just a proper yeah. humble. I'll just jump in as well, mention uh, Dusan Pernis. I don't know how you didn't know this. He's been there since 2017. Bulgarian First Division team, Bero Stara Zagora. There you, there go. you go. There you go. <laughs> he was incredible. What a top goalie, man. Uh, Centre half. Went for Lee Wilkie. Because yeah. for one guy that didn't want to go to England, who could have played... Could have played, could have went to Rangers, Celtic, any of them. What a player he was, like, on the ball, obviously a monster. Uh, you can ask Kev Smith about him as well, because Kev Smith got bullied a few times for him in training at, at Dundee United. Uh, Lee Wilkie actually got sent in the training for, for smashing Kev in a tackle. Uh, <laughs> but I, Lee Wilkie, and then beside him, I've stuck Andy Webster. He was in the Scottish Cup team as well. Class, proper Rolls-Royce defender. Um, on the ball, very good, very calm, and I think it was his second weekend at Dundee United. We were going for a sticky patch. Second weekend, called a big meeting, went through boys. Quiet guy off the pitch as well, but just went through boys. Just met them, just went through them all, and then for that day, we just we just couldn't lose. So he's a massive influence. Left back was always going to be Lewis Stevenson. Yeah, he is the most underrated player from Fife as well. Yeah, Most underrated players I've I've played with. Um, what he's done at one club for every fan, no every fan. Most fans they can write him off every year saying this is his last year, and every manager plays him. 
because training unreal. Let some dunes his cross and he'll admit that himself, but defensively very good. One of the best people we ever meet and I'd have him on my team. Even now, I would say he's the best left back in the top league apart from Barisic. So I'd have him on every other team. I'd have him on the Celtic team before Taylor. He would play in front of any left back in that league for me. I went for a diamond, bought me the diamond, John Fleck. Yeah, great player. He was. And the thing about Fleck, he didn't realise how good he actually was uh, in League One. I played him in League One. And I used to say it all the time, I was like, Fleck, you shouldn't be here. You're the best player in this league. And he was just like, quiet guy, never really believed it. But I think now he's kind of proved how good he actually is because he's un- incredible. And this is the thing that used to get to me. Like, what? He wasn't even getting in Scotland squads. And I'm just like, yeah, he was actually one. Of, he's one of the Instagram posts I've put up. Actually, I think why he's on the Scotland squad. So I have just for pure ability. And, um, let's just say his his diet's not great, but he's a water player. Uh, beside him, John McGinn. Yeah. McGinn's got everything. Eh? Like, see if he never got that injury. Just there, all the big yeah. teams would be putting bids in for him. Eh? And it's a bit yeah, harsh for 40 million for Man United, you know what I mean? Aye, And, aye. and I, I'm going to say this completely objectively, and I'll probably get slaughtered from it, but I would rather have McGinn than Grealish. I would. Um, I think yeah, Grealish is, is, a, is a great player. I think Grealish is a great player, don't get me wrong, but, you know, McGinn, for me, does the dirty work as well. You know what I mean? He'll, yeah, he'll do absolutely think everything. Grealish, think Grealish would have had such a good season if McGinn wasn't in the team. That's what I always exactly. think. Exactly. I mean... Like McGinn would have done the same with Grealish, but would Grealish done the same with McGinn? You know I mean? Exactly. And I just didn't think so. And beside him, little uh, little poser, James Madison. James yeah. Madison. So we story about James. He was a young boy at Coventry coming through the first team. So I went on loan to St Johnston. So this wee boy, wee kid, honestly, he came to train with us. I was like, this wee guy, who is this? See him training and thought, okay, he's all right. I went on trial, I went on loan to Coventry, eh, St. John's, I went back to Coventry. So I was number 10 at Coventry. Went to put my kit on, he had my kit on. I went, what are you doing? He was only about 17. He went, oh, I just thought I'd take number 10. And I was like, that's my number. And he went, all right, I just thought I'd take it. Never took it off, just wore it. I went, right, okay, you can have it. To be fair, I mean, he done all right fair. <laughs> and <laughs> the ability he's got, like, see for being no so quick, nobody can yeah. get near him, eh? Even in the Prem, like, he's turning boys left, right and centre. And uh, he's class. Top of the diamond, Lee Tomlin. Do you know Lee Tomlin? Yeah. Cardiff. Should have should have been top Premiership player. Just hangs off-field, silly diets, things. Off-field, silly things. Unbelievable player. Totally, total football. Best touch I've ever seen in a football player. Um, Got the arrogance about him as well, um, and scores goals, assists and scores. Um, my two strikers, it was hard. Like I went Dwight Gale, I went Dwight Gale, but just yeah. just for his finishing, his finishing was incredible. Never really lost the ball. Um, never really Is lost he still the in ball. Newcastle. Aye, never. Aye. That's what I noticed about Dwight. Never lost the ball for a striker. He never lose the ball was. For the size of him, held up well, and a proper humble top guy. And I've got two other ones here that I can't really choose from, but I'm going to go with Goody, David Goodwillie. 
Yeah. Obviously, we all know he's all field problems and that, but on his day, what what a striker, man! His movement, he used as a midfielder, he used to make one movement never came off. Two, he make four or five movements for you to get the ball. You know, he was and as a finisher, unreal, aggressive, good in the air, and he pips. I had Britta Sombolonga as well, and he probably pips Britta Sombolonga. Britt was a proper striker, like just wanted to score goals and uh, with an absolute battering run. Um, but I'd probably just 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 picked, picked on the good Willie, I think. Yeah. Good Willie was like we all know his ability. His career has been blighted by maybe being a bit of an idiot off the park, but you you, you can't take away what that boy could do. And to be honest, even when he went to Blackburn, you were still expecting him to, to kick on. Aye, totally. But he was like, see, as a striker in this league, in our league, man. They could tell Rangers and Celtic hated playing against him. He used to terrorise them. He was brilliant, and it's just not worked out for him. And to be fair, it's what could have been really because the money he was earning was something scary. Yeah. And for one silly wee night to end it is sad, but yeah, I'm enough about that anyway. Aye, definitely. Alright, uh, uh, so against, my best living against, I've played against, I didn't pick a goalie because I couldn't think of one. No. I can't really think of a goalie, not that it's really stood out and thought, he's unbelievable. To be honest, I couldn't think about it. So I left that one. I would maybe say McGregor, I, that's what I was thinking, McGregor, because games I've played against, he made some great saves, but that's the only the ones that, that stand out. Right back was Alan Hutton, when he was at Rangers. Yes. That was when I first signed for Dundee United, and oh my, I used to put, I played on the left against them. No, no easy on the eye, no technically brilliant, but wow, yeah. honest, what a hard player to play against. Very, very good, um, very fast, physical. Just had everything to go to England and done well. Next to him, I don't know if you'll know him, Van Dyke. As in Virgil. As in Virgil. <laughs> Basically, didn't get a setting gear up here. And yeah. I called it. That's the money mother Instagram posts. When he signed for Southampton, I said yeah. he'll be the best player in the world, best defender in the world. And wow, he is. He's just took it to another level. He, to be fair, last week there he had a bit of a nightmare, but it's allowed once yeah. in every every in seventy games. <laughs> Next to him was a uh, Basson for Norwich. I only yeah. put him in because I played up front against him on my end. It was him and the boy, an arse and a half. I put up front in an FA Cup game against him. And he absolutely battered me. Left, right and centre. Just, it was, a, it was one of the games and I was thinking, I'm not enjoying this one little bit. It was a full, full crowd of 40,000 there and I was hating every minute. And I was just wanting the worst way to go because he was telling me, he was like, when the ball comes up, I'm smashing you and that. And he, and he was doing it. And I was just like, oh... <laughs> So he always sticks in my head. Maybe no, probably not a great player, to be honest, but what a horrible player to play against. Uh, left back, Kieran Tierney. Yeah. Guy's just a train, absolute train. Another one, no very nice on the eye, like no very fluid with his touches and that, but wow, can he, can he stop him? Even defensively yeah. strong as well, um, but can he stop him going forward? Obviously in that Celtic team, it was, he was playing like a left winger at times, but... Uh, just came on leaps and bounds. Centre mid, probably going to hate this, Scott Brown. 
just for what he's done yeah. in the game. He could win games just with his mouth there, eh? and it's used to get under my skin, used to really do my head and used to get really personal with things. And I liked that, but he used to, he, he knew he would always get the last laugh because he knew his team was going to win. And it used to be horrible. Eh? And uh, I've got to know him over the years, and he's a brand new guy off the pitch, but his talking wins a lot of games on the pitch. I, I love him. I, I think. Uh, yeah, I think he's great. Yeah. I'd love him in the team now, Scotland team now, man. Oh, hi. Yeah, definitely. Um, Barry Ferguson. I think he, he was my second game. I played against him. He, I played against I played against uh, Albion Rovers about two weeks before this. In my second game, I was playing at Ibrox against Barry Ferguson uh, for Dundee United. And, and my dad always used to slaughter Barry Ferguson. He used to say, oh, he's just a crab. He just plays sideways. Oh, man. This guy was unbelievable. Like, like, not even, like, he was playing against me and you must be thinking, like, is this kid just out of school? Like, like it was, he was just light years ahead of me and I'm thinking, how do you get that good? Like, how do you get that yeah. good? And then beside him, Steve Davis, very similar, similar kind of thing. Um, yeah. But then I, I had a good be, I had a good few tussles with him because that was the time when our Dundee team were strong and me, I was up yeah. against him a lot. And to be fair to him, one of the games we'd beat them at Ibrox, and he was the first one to come up to me and say, you were absolutely excellent today, and I couldn't believe it, and I always remember it. And it's someone that stuck yeah. in my head for him to say that, to lose it at Ibrox, their fans on their backs, and him to come over and say that to me. And um, that's always kind of stuck in my head, and for to be such a top player, like, unbelievable. Humble. Very humble, I. Um, striker, the boy Haaland, and it's at Dortmund. Yeah, yeah. I've played them in Europe. He's at Mulder. And he played against Ryan Porteous. Oh, what a shame. What a shame it was. <laughs> it was such a shame. Like, and Ryan's not a small guy. He's very, very physical, but it was like men against boys. Eh? It was, um, I, think, I don't know, I think he scored a hat-trick. He was 4-1 or something, he scored a hat-trick. But he was, only, he was only 17 at the time, I think. And this guy yeah. was freaking nature. Absolute freaking nature. Um, right winger, I put Ryan Kent just because I've only played against him maybe three times, but I think just what he can do with the ball, he knows. Yeah, it's like Rangers can't afford to lose him. Like it's a matter of time before he goes, though. Aye, I think he'll get. I think he'll go. Like, but they can't afford to. He goes, the league's over. That's what I say. Yeah. And then there's another guy. Yeah, maybe no remember. Maybe no hear it. Messi. <laughs> yeah. Not sure about him. We uh, played him yeah. in a friendly song, but I'm putting him in, I'll always put him in. God, I'll be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we played against Barcelona at Tanadice and uh, we'd always yeah. think we're gonna bring their, their young boys over. Got their team sheet in, it was the they were all playing. Apart from Messi, Messi was on the bench, they were all playing. You had your Xavi and Yesta, Touris, Busquets. Albers, Henri's, Good Johnson, PK, PK, one nil or one and a half time. We got unbelievable. We played unbelievable, and then Messi came on, scored a hat trick in twenty minutes. Xavi got called to come off, and Messi says, "No, no, no, I'll go off." So he came on for twenty minutes, scored a hat trick, and then went back off again. And that was seeing him in the, seeing him. On a pitch beside you, that's a different world altogether. 
like what level we play at to this guy is, oh, I couldn't even tell you the comparison. And how is it even possible? I don't know. What was that? What was that like? Like lining up and you're in the tunnel and you're looking across for you and you're like, there's Thierry Henry, there's Gerard Piquet, there's Messi, there's Xavi, there's like legends of the game. You know what I noticed about like Good Johnson and um, Henri, the size of them. Yeah. You know, on the TV, you didn't think that they're absolute monsters, absolute monsters. And that's the one thing I, I, I noticed. I was like, wow, these guys are so they're massive, they're quick, they're strong, and they're unbelievable at football. Like, yeah. Dance you go. I mean, actually, they're right, but considering it was their first preseason games, they probably weren't taking it so serious until Messi came on and then just flipped the whole game on its head and then we ended up getting beat 4-1. And it was... And, but I've got... A, that's the only picture in my house I've got in my football is me and Messi up the stairs. So, yeah. keep that. Definitely keep that. Aye. So, that's... Yeah, that's a pretty good team. That's an amazing <laughs> thing. <laughs> I think you, you, you're going to be potentially beating gary naismith's team or at least up there with him so you've got some serious contention with that and look one final question for you that we're asking just now is aside of your messy picture and aside of your scottish cup medal what's the best piece of football memorabilia you own you're bound to have got some some good shirts over the years this is going to kill your question a wee bit but i've never asked anybody for their shirt eh? never not even messy. <laughs> Not even messy. I've never really. The only strips I've got are strips that I've played against that are my mates. Oh. But nah, they all. Oh, try to think if I've got anything. But I didn't actually think I do, you know. So I've not got anything. Can I see all these guys that have got all these strips and that? Yeah. <laughs> Nor have we for dinner. Just never done it. That um, would definitely be. It's probably the seller. It's probably the Alex Ferguson book, eh? Yeah, Alex Wilson, but that's probably the thing that's still that's still a massive thing for me because in my eyes the best manager of all time. Yeah. Writing a message to me, I think it says said something about my time at Peterborough. It was like two Danny, something about my time at Peterborough, like a message from Starax Ferguson. So that is probably and it's that'd be quite hard to beat, like like a strip and that fair enough, but an actual personal yeah. note for somebody like that is massive. Yeah. Having a team talk from him. <laughs> like, yeah. like I said to you, like, you know, when you look back on your career, obviously your, your time at East Fife is going to be the pinnacle, and we know that. But, you know, when you're looking back on your career, you're like, right, I've played against Barcelona, I've shared the pitch with Messi, I've had a team talk for Alex Ferguson. You know, you must, you must sometimes just be sitting having a brew and going, how the fuck did that happen? <laughs> that's, that's it. And see, some people say, so I've heard I've heard it so many times, like, oh, you didn't really reach your potential on that. And I was like, I'm some wee daft laddie for Leith. I was like, I've made, I've done more than I expected to do. I was expected to be a plumber, and I was an apprentice plumber, that's what I wanted to do, be a plumber. I didn't expect to do what I'd done, so yeah, I've yeah. overachieved massively, and that's something that's, uh, that I can always, and then that's my plan now, is kind of help, help more kids do it, because... There'll be, there'll be kids out there that are, that are top, top players, but they just need to go the right guidance. So I'm, that's my plan. It's my next, my, my next plan in life. Well, hopefully we see you do that. And, yeah. you know, we've, we've got the academy at East Fife now uh, where it's bringing yeah. players in and hopefully you can get involved with that as much yeah. as you can. Um, yeah. Again, I seem to say this a lot, but Danny, this was an absolute 
excellent chat. You know, really and it was it. good to talk about some some stuff other than football. Um, and look, if if there's anything down the line, you know, Michael and I are talking about that, like a mental health one, we'd get footballers to talk about mental health. You, you would definitely fit the bill for that, a hundred percent. And if that's something you'd be up for doing, that would be great. Um, and yeah, look, we better let you go because it's been nearly two hours. Yeah, ten thirty. <laughs> I've enjoyed it, guys, and uh, anything, you, anything you need, if, if you need me to do anything, just look, give me a shout. Well, we need you to score a lot of goals this year so that our name comes up on Twitter because we've got the sponsor thing, so we just need to get the advertising out there. No no pressure, like, but... This is what I'm going to try and do. I'll try my best. You promote Absolute the podcast pleasure, as Danny. best as you can, and if you know any of your other um, more esteemed colleagues that would, would like to get on, we're going to have Kev on next week, so I'll, I'll drop you an email and you can maybe dub some in some for some stories, but I um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I've got your email address now, I'll reach out yeah, to you yeah. with, with anything else, but honestly, thank you so much, mate, it's been an absolute no pleasure. No worries, really enjoyed that. Glad to have you at the club and look forward to seeing you play this year, man. Thanks so much for your time. So there you have it. That's our interview with the Danny Swanson. I, I said to you at the top of the show, I'm, I'm going to go out and say it. I, I think it was my favourite one um, that we've done so far. A really, really invigorating chat. I really, really enjoyed it. You know, we've said it a few times, but it was just like chatting to, to somebody you've known for years. So open, so honest. And I mean, particularly the fact that he was so open about his mental health, which for those of you that, that don't know, is, is something that I'm very passionate about. I've, I've, I've been dealing with depression and anxiety for a few years now and and this podcast was excellent for me in in, um, in lockdown for, for keeping my mind active and, and, and looking for things to do and it was great to see that you know Danny being so open about how he conquers it you know the fact that he meditates daily and the things that he uses to combat that that for people like myself who will have been through it it's great to see someone of his stature come out and be so open and be so honest about it Absolutely. I mean, my, my wife as well, I'm sure she won't mind me revealing this on a show to people that don't know her, that uh, she had some anxiety issues last year as well. And I mean, it's it's tough. It can just hit you from nowhere and just hit her from nowhere. We ended up canceling a holiday because of it and it's, it's difficult. It is a thing I think that's better that folk are talking a lot more about it now. Over here in January every year, one of the phone providers, Bell, they do a Bell Let's Talk Day and it just has everyone talking about mental health. But it can't just be a day. It needs to be constantly that people are talking about this. And we we, we kind of talked a little bit off air. It's a, something we might look at doing a special episode of down the line, just kind of focusing on mental health. I know that there is a charity and a, a group that was set up by... Gary O'Connor, not the Gary O'Connor that played for us, but the other Gary O'Connor. Um, him and his wife have set up one for footballers that, that do struggle with mental health issues. And I mean, that that's something I've spoken to, to Andy O'Brien, former Newcastle player, about it as well. And yeah, if you do need help, there's always folk there for you. Just reach out. Someone will always be there for you. Genuinely, and, and this isn't an empty gesture, um, I was running a, a Facebook page last year, which is called Mad Lads, which was Men with Anxiety and Depression. I, I closed it down because it, it wasn't being utilised. But if anybody is having any issues mental health-wise, please don't hesitate to come through to me because you know, I would much rather be able to sit and chat to you about it than, than read about your notice of death or read about your eulogy. You know, I, I, 
it's something that I'm, I'm so passionate about and having been there and having, you know, had the suicidal thoughts, having had all the, you know, the, the worthiness thoughts and, you know, it's, it's a horrible place to be in. And, and without turning the Danny episode into something sombre, please do reach out to me on any of the social media and I'll, I'll be more than happy to talk to you. But let's talk about more um, positive stuff. I mean, I said that at the end of the interview with Danny there, like, sometimes he must just look back at his career going, at 18 or 17, I, I was studying to be a plumber. Yeah. I played against Messi. You know, yep. had a team talk from Ferguson. Yeah. I, like, honestly, I said to you there, if, if Sir Alex Ferguson walked in to give me a team talk, I'd have just stood up, hands in and went, done. Yep. No one's going to top that. Might as well jack it now. You know, I've made no bones about it. That I'm a, a Man United fan. Fergie to me is almost up there with Kenny Duker in terms of complete godlike status. You know, if I, I always ask people, if I don't know them, I always ask a question. If, if you had the choice, five people dead or alive, to sit down and have a meal with, who would they be? And every time I would have like Paul McCartney, I'd have, you know, same, Sir Alex Ferguson are, are the two top ones that I would always go, they would be my first two because, you know, I would literally listen to Alex Ferguson talk about football all day. I've read his book on reading, I've read his autobiography, you know, it's just God to me. And to have somebody like that be able to just come and, and do a team talk for you, nothing would top that, surely. Oh, that would be absolutely amazing. I'd, I'd love to have the chance to meet him at some point. I doubt I probably ever will, but... Obviously, I did briefly mention that I had a, an exchange outside Old Bayview. That doesn't really count. Just to sit down and pick his brains would just be absolutely incredible. But, I mean, what Danny's done, he's played in two countries. He's played European games. He's been involved in the Scotland team net network, although not actually playing for Scotland. Won a cup at Hamden and Wembley. I mean, it's a great career. I think we're very... Very lucky to have him at Bayview. The knowledge that he can share and impart with the younger guys in particular, him and Kev Smith, who we're going to have on on next week's show, spoiler. I I love that Danny said he'd like to finish his career with us and he'd have signed a four-year deal if he'd offered it. Now, to me, hearing that, I was just like, wow, this is the guy we want at the club. This is the guy we need to have at the club. You know, he said it himself, you know, he's, he's 33, right? You know, I, I made the joke about Kev Smith in the past about him being no spring chicken. Sorry again, Kev, if you're listening to this one, which you probably are. And by this time, um, you know, you're due to come on the show next week, so don't pull out. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and some our future guests before they're on, that's good. Yeah, love you, Kev, you are my hero. But, you know, the, you know, you think about Stephen Gerrard or... Andrea Pirlo or Lampard going over to America and it's seen as, you know, you're, you're going to put your feet up and sit in a beach. Yeah, retirement uh, league was the target had over here for a while. Yeah, you know, you think about the legends that have gone over there, Beckham, Zlatan, you know, you, the list goes on about the people that have gone over to the States. And you think about somebody at 33 coming to East Fifers, right, they're here for their last payday, they're finished, you know, whatever. I mean... Danny, you know, has, has openly said he had the opportunity to stay full-time at a lot of clubs. Mm-hmm. Having seen him play a few games last season, he definitely still had the ability to play a few a few clubs. But do you wonder what I liked about him is he, he, he openly said he had offers for more money. But yes. Kev, but Kev Smith was like, look, you know, he, he was on it um, to come to East Fife. He, he had a look into the club, seen what he was getting himself into had a look at the squad, seen the quality and the calibre of players that we had and thought, this is for me. 
Now, we've got a real coup here. We've got a massive coup, but having somebody Danny's ability and caliber coming into our team is only going to bring the boys of Jack Hamilton, Aaron Dunsmore. These boys on. You know what I mean? And, and if, if they could listen to the likes of the year Kevin Smith, if they could listen to your Darren Youngs, if they could listen to your Danny Swansons, you know, I'm really excited for this season. I genuinely can't wait for it. We've got a good game coming up on Saturday against Dunfermline and a friendly where I think that they're really going to actually play a strong team. And I, I'll be honest with you, I reckon we could, if we play well, we give anyone a doing. And, it, and that sort of attitude was just pouring out of Danny when you're speaking to him you know he was hearing about some guys going Falker are going to be strong this season he's like well no you don't want to be listening about how, what Falker are doing let's focus on what we're doing mm-hmm. and they're the kind of boys that you want in your dressing room you know I, I've, I've said it before you know I'm a manager in, 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 in real life if we want to call it that um, and you know I look to people that I manage as leaders and and, pe- and positive thinkers and, and people that are influencing you know the, maybe the, the less stronger minded people so if you've got one bad apple, it could lead to a bad tree. And if you've got somebody that's a mood hoover, then it's going to suck the life out of the, the place of your work. If you've got somebody like Danny, who's been there, seen it, done it, got the T-shirt, and you know, pulling it off with a great attitude and that desire and that willingness to win, the, the possibilities are endless. Totally. He can be your catalyst. You know, if, if we look at the... The backbone of our team, you know, we've got Brett Long, in my opinion, is one of the best goalkeepers in the league. Chris Higgins, one of the best centre-backs in the league. Where Scott Agnew and Danny Swanson, Dunsmore, Davidson, we've got one of the best midfielders in the league. The only area that kind of worries me is up top, but from what I've seen of Jack Hamilton so far, is excellent. Ryan Moss isn't an out-and-out goal scorer, but he's a great player. But from what I've seen, the link-up between... Ryan Moss and Jack Hamilton looks good. So let's hope that if, if those two click, I seriously, seriously think that we're a great outside bet um, for at least winning the playoffs. And you want to know what? I'm not even scared to say it. We've got a chance of winning the league. Consistency is going to be the key, just like keeping up with the, the full-time teams. I mean, What I loved about what Danny was saying there is that he's come here because he wants to win. He still wants to win. And that, if I'm Darren Young, and you're talking to a player who's undecided whether they want to come to East Fife or not, just play them a couple of snippets from that chat with Danny, and that'll win them over as to exactly what we've got. Full credit to everyone from board, management, everyone at East Fife. The community and family vibe that they have built, and we've talked about this before, I'm not trying to just blow smoke up their ass, but it's like, it's fantastic. And that is what's going to attract quality players to our club. Absolutely, and look... You know, you you only have to look at some of the players that we've got in our dressing room, not our locker room, because we're in Scotland. That you say, you want to know what we've attracted, Danny Swanson, we've attracted Chris Higgins, we've attracted Scott Agnew, and we're keeping these boys here. We've attracted Darren Young as our manager. You know, we we've got a good squad, a really good squad, and. and any of the players that we could add to that, then great, bring them on. You know, I've already said to Danny, let's get Stephen Whitaker if he's still looking for a club. You know, we could have him. You know, Paul Pogba at Man United was called Agent P for a while because he was managing to get players into Man United. Hopefully, um, we could get Danny to do the same thing like what Kev's done. So, like, you know, I, I often miss Kevin Smith out actually in that calibre of player. Kevin's an excellent player and he's had an excellent career and I'm really looking forward to talking to him next season. 
But, you know, we've got a lot. I think we've got the right mixture of youth and experience and balance in the squad. And again, massive kudos to, to Darren Young and the, and the board for, for pulling off what they have. Um, they've been absolutely outstanding. The proof of the pudding's going to be on the pitch. And I guess we'll hopefully get to see that in actual competitive action real soon. Speaking of something real soon, it's, it's quarter past 11 at night here. And do you want to know what I really fancy? A chocolate digestive. No, who else might fancy one? Doogie Cameron. Let's find out whether he would like a chocolate digestive. So, Doogie, you're sitting at home, you decide to have a hot beverage. What would be your hot beverage of choice? A tea, a coffee, hot chocolate or something else? It's a coffee. A coffee. Maybe a little latte. Oh. Something like that. Nice. Right on the hips, but very, very... <laughs> Mutton dressed as lamb down here, money free, so like... But yeah, <laughs> probably go for a latte. And do you have a sweet tooth? Are you a biscuit fan? <laughs> You've seen the size of me in the bloody kit, would you think? Yes. I would probably go... So what are we talking? Biscuits? Yeah, biscuits. Oh, a little caramel digestive, I would imagine, with my coffee. Awesome. <laughs> what go we had... I, I haven't seen these when I was in Scotland, but one of the local Scottish stores over here in Vancouver last summer had coffee caramel digestives. They were amazing. It's Naughty. like... Oh. Yeah. Lee I'm doesn't not... seem to like anything I eat or drink. <laughs> <laughs> coffee just gives me that absolute fear honestly yeah. so if, if you've got your caramel digestive are you a dunker oh oh beautiful oh yeah definitely caramel definitely. just makes that it's like fantastic mm-hmm. anyone fancy a chocolate digestive anyone fancy a chocolate digestive There we go, Doogie Cameron, talking biscuits, talking shite. Two things that we're good at doing most of. We're going to go into this week's Who Are You? Now, we're not going to play the usual theme tune. (gasps) And you're going to be wondering why. We've decided to come up with a bit of a curveball, but before I announce that, um, we're going to announce the correct answer for last week, and it was Paul Nugent, so well done to those of you that got it right. Off the top of my head, there was... Liam Anderson, although I'm pretty sure he got it wrong the first time around. Um, like I said at the start of the... Yeah, he said Graham Guy. And then that was at 10.30. Normally I said five past nine, I get that message from Liam Anderson. You're a wee bit later today, uh, on that day, Liam. But I got it wrong and then he went, shit, of course it's Paul Nugent. And that's exactly who it was, it was Paul Nugent. Um, we also had correct answers from Hendry Ireland. And I think, the fact, I think that was it. So, yes, the new um, Who Are You? So we're going to mix it up. So I normally spend my lunchtime on the day that we do the, um, the, the host the podcast to come up with a player. Now, you probably notice that a lot of my players are coming from a newer era. Um, so Michael moaned his face off because he's not knowing anything because I immigrated to Canada, blah, 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 blah. So... I decided to bring in somebody that might just have that little bit more East Fife knowledge. The new host of the Who Are You section is going to be Mr. Stephen Mill, Mr. East Fife himself. 
knows the club inside and out. Essentially, a club historian has been keeping records, has been keeping feeding me with stats, normally the correct ones that I haven't gone to Wikipedia for. So, Michael, are you up for it? A challenge, me versus you, week on week, to see if we can get the answer. I'm up for that. And of course, listeners can play along at home while they're listening. So, I mean, it's all good for that. I fancy you to, to do well in this because as I've got older, there's just less brain cells and memory in this old head of mine. But bring it on. We'll see. I think that anything post 2000s, I might be okay. Anything that's before that, I'm genuinely screwed. So I think that I'm maybe going to need to, instead of spending my lunch times preparing the questions, I'm maybe just going to have to go through our Wikipedia days gone by or days of old um, and find out. Uh, yeah, not if the fancy chocolate digesters, just maybe what clubs have been having for. <laughs> that's a good one. Just pick up some, some high profile players, memorize everything. Of course, if he picks folk that we've interviewed, then we've got a better chance. Hint, hint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe ease us in gently, but I'm looking forward to having Stephen on the show next week. He's a guy I've got a lot of time Definitely. for, and he's a, a very learned man. You know, I think he would genuinely walk mastermind his fifth edition. So yeah. he's I mean, probably the I, right person to do it. When we had Stephen on a few episodes ago chatting to that guy in America, I'd said afterwards, I don't know if this actually made the final edit or not. It's been so long since I'd spoken to him because when I'd been back, I hadn't actually seen him at the games because he was doing the other stuff. It was just so nice to, to like chat to him again because it's like known him for so many years. Nah, top man, top man, Stephen. Um, so I'm going to move on to the mailbag. Um, so we've not had any away days memories, but you'll be glad to know, Michael, we eventually got a response from Scott out in America of a favourite hard man. Now, I'm going to be honest, I don't know anything about him. Oh, yeah, I think really? He's genuinely going to be yeah, a little bit before my time. He's wearing a Scotland shirt from the World Cup in Italy in 1990, which was the year after I was born. So I'm, I'm not very clued up on him. So what can you tell me about him? Roy Aitken is the guy that Scott Kestrel picked at Kestrel Scott on Twitter. Uh, Aitken played for Celtic, played for Scotland, was pilloried a lot, and I mean a lot, in the early days of Away From The Numbers fanzine. Because when he was playing for Scotland, we did not want him to play for Scotland. Think of, in terms of hard man, think of a shitter Scott Brown. He tried to bring that to Celtic, but he was nowhere at that level. But he was a hard-ass guy. He did go in for some hard tackles. It was that kind of like 80s Scottish footballer that would just go in with the crunching tackles. He still kept his place in the Scotland team, though, when he was no longer probably at the level that he should have been in the Scotland team, and he played terrible for Scotland. He never sort of brought his Celtic performances to, to the Scottish national team. He played for Aberdeen as well. He had a spell down in England with, with Newcastle, but I think primarily he had something like 15 seasons uh, at Celtic and eventually uh, went on to manage Aberdeen for a spell. Surprised you haven't heard of him. Although, just looking here, he actually managed Aberdeen 95 to 97. So, yeah, it probably wouldn't have been a time. Yeah, I mean, I started to get into football around 19... You know, I don't get me wrong, I was at a few games and stuff, but I really got into football around the 98 World Cup. 
So anything before that, unless it's massively media publicized, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not in that era at all. But thanks so much to Scott for the, the, the first suggestion. You know, by the sounds of things, sounds like in the mode agree, I'm S, not much of a footballer, just a dirty, yeah. you know what. But well, his nickname was The Bear. Oh, right. Okay. Because he was grizzly or? I just, he was, <laughs> I had a big kind of frame and you wouldn't want to mess with him. It's ironic, a Celtic guy being called The Bear, of course, but there we go. That's <laughs> a story for another day. So, I'm going to um, bring to you now. We've eventually got some all time 11s that have literally come through as we're recording this. So, I'm going to serialize these ones over the coming weeks because there's a lot of content in it. So, a huge thank you to Eric Brown. Eric's a guy that um, I've seen at Bayview for years and years. His son Craig's about my age, and I know that they both listen to the show. So, hello to you both. I'm hopefully looking forward to being sat a few rows in front of you at Bayview when we get back. Then that's where my season ticket is. So um, Eric said, as someone who's about but not quite Lee's dad's age, I found picking a team impossible. So I've put some criteria and we'll give you three teams for different periods. It was still difficult, but the criteria was, one, over 100 appearances, loan spells not included. Two, they played in the period, but not necessarily 100 appearances. And three, a bit of license taken regarding positions. So we're going to go straight into it. So he's going to go for his first one, um, which I'm going to give, uh, in fact, we'll go for the, his team from 1970 to 1985. He's included a subs bench as well, the cheeky swines. It's meant to be on all time 11, but we'll forgive him since we like him. So And he's put a lot is, of hard work into this, obviously. So, I mean, that's very yeah, good. Yeah, and it was an excellent, excellent read, actually. I really, really enjoyed that. In fact, we'll do two eras and we'll come back because I liked his, his latest era. That's more mine. So we'll do one for you, old codgers, and I'll do one for the young boys as well. So his first team is then 1978 to 1985. So he's gone for Ernie McGar, Ron McIver, John Martis. Jim McLaren, Davy Clark, Bertie Miller, Stevie Kirk, Graham Hutt, Billy McPhee, Gordon Scott, and Kevin Hegarty. Subs are Davy Gorman, Colin Methvin, Peter McQuaid, and Johnny Love. Thoughts, Michael? Good team. Few of those make mine as well. That that would be a that'd be a hard battling team as well. There's a lot of physicality in that team, which I obviously like. Yep, definitely. So what I'm going to go for now. Um, is another team which is the 2000 to 2019 now this is the one that was more my era so I, I, I'll be honest with you it's, it's, it's a good team here so we'll go through it so he's going off with Willie McCulloch and goals uh, to be honest wouldn't be my top choice for goalkeeper considering obviously we had Ridgers and Scott Fox and stuff but the criteria was non-loan player so if it's a signed mm-hmm. goalkeeper Willie McCulloch's definitely top of that mould Sausages so again a player that, that definitely was loved by these five fans and I remember him laughing when he played for Stenhouse Muir and us chatting that behind the ball every time he kicked a, <laughs> kicked a goal kick out it was brilliant a man next in the list that were, in fact a few of the players that we've actually featured on the show make this list this, this list so here we go um, he's gone for Stevie Campbell top guy Johnny Smart top guy Jonathan Page um, who you would have missed but it was a great, great player. Um, Johnny Page played for us. We signed him from Dunfermline. Um, he then went to, oh, where did he go? I think it was Brecon. Um, he, he had a bit of a falling out with, with Darren, I think. Um, but a, 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 an excellent, excellent player. Um, and and a, a player that, that probably would still get a game for us at centre-half. Really commanding centre-back. Scored a lot of goals too. 
Um, he's then went for Greg McDonald, Aaron Dunsmore, Div Muir, Paul Mortimer. Now, there's a name for the past. Um, he was he was a, a cracking wee player. Yeah, Bob Mortimer, yeah. Um, speaking of Bob, Bobby Lynn makes the team. Paul McManus and Kevin Smith. His subs, he's gone for Pat Slattery, Craig Johnson, Ross Brown and Lloyd Young. So maybe not everybody's cup of tea, but all still good players for the five. So thank you so much for that. Um, next week, we will bring to you his teams from 86 to 99. He also then sent a second part, um, which was following on from the other teams, another couple with different criteria. So we'll also bring that um, next week, which is, is sort of combines as best as he can the teams from all the eras. Um, and he's also put together uh, East Fife, um, list of people that have been capped internationally so yeah we'll definitely bring that to you next week and thanks again Eric fantastic and don't forget Lee you've got the listeners on tenterhooks here wanting to know the final two busts that you have on our Mount Rushmore get your busts out yeah well considering they're sizable just now I think I'll keep that from my OnlyFans account um, but I think that the the last two, I, I'll be honest with you, it, it, I went back and forward a lot. And I mean an absolute lot. But I went for two people that I kind of felt were heroes of mine personally. And they've gone for Greg McDonald. You know, a, a guy that we chatted to that I absolutely loved. I thought he was, you know, everything you look for in an East Fife player. Of course, my final one's got to be Dr. Goals. It's got to be, um, you know, the, the living embodiment uh my love for East Fife, you know, the goal I talk about all the time, you're probably sick of hearing me talk about it. I don't care. I really, really don't. Kenny Joker takes a fourth spot in mind. I still talk about that goal on our Whitecaps and MLS podcast and no one gives a toss about it out here. So, yeah, go with it. So, I was going to bring to you Kestrel Scott's Mount Rushmore, but for the life of me, I can't find the message that he sent us. So Scott, if you're listening, send it back over to us on a, a DM on Twitter and we'll feature it on next week's show. As always, we're always looking for you guys' input. If you, there's anything that you're wanting to, to send over to us, obviously fill our mailbag. We'll always love a fill sack, so get it sent over. Um, glorydaysofgold at gmail.com is where we prefer for you to send your stuff through because it's easier for us to filter through. Um, now it's up to Michael to bring us this week's wavelength and our last plug of Football Violence Awareness Month. Yes, I'm sure everyone will be glad to know that this month is over, but rejoice, it's back again in March. I like to have it twice a year now. I genuinely could have this every single week for a, a, a year with the amount of songs I have about football hooligans and football violence. But this week, we're going back to 2002, it's by a band called Argy Bargy, who by its very name are encouraging a little bit of violence. It's from their Songs from the Street album. This is called Saturday's Glory. He's got money in the bank two cars on a drive. Three smashing kids and a beautiful wife He's got an old suite and a flash TV A dirty beer kitchen and a DVD He takes a lot of money but he always makes a loss He knows what Texas watching but he doesn't give a toss He's got his own firm, he's always a one But he's a different geezer when Sandy comes And he says I just can't help it All I wanna do is buy it. A Saturday afternoon's gonna be alright 
Bargy there from 2002 Saturday's Glory that's what we want when East Fife get back in the pitch not so much the violence but we want to see some glory days on Saturday glory days are gold I'm pretty sure we're going to get to see them soon let's hope so and that's pretty much it all from us this week um, another show that again I've, I've really really enjoyed and I'm, I'm confident leaving this one that, that you guys will too um, the, the feedback from the Nathan Austin episode has been absolutely excellent um, I'll be honest with you I, I thought that it, it might have been one of those ones that people sat in the fence about obviously with what happened but I mean to date we've had 262 downloads of that show 
um, which is actually more than the Davy Clark one already, which might surprise a lot of people. Um, but there you go. It's, it's, it's crazy how these things work. I mean, I thought that Tam McManus would, would be our big one, um, considering, or, or Gary Naismith, you know, would be our big ones. But there you go. Um, you've got Nathan Austin piling through the downloads there. Um, just before we go, a quick thank you to our, our um, sponsors, as always, John Scott Neal, Tony Charlotte, and Henry Ireland. Um, really, really grateful for your guys' continued support. Where can our listeners find you online, Michael? You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada, AFTN website, and check out our two websites away from the numbers, AFTN.co.uk for all your East Fife stuff, and AFTN.ca for your Vancouver Whitecaps, MLS, and North American football stuff. You can find me online in all the usual places. You can find me on Twitter at LeeG1903 to see me rambling about COVID coronavirus, about not being able to take my, uh, go to my monster a cup of tea, but take it out for a pint. So yeah, you can find me there. You can find me on Facebook, Lee Gillis, um, Instagram, Gillis underscore 89. But that's pretty much all from us this week. Stay safe, wear your mask, look after one another, and more importantly, one the five. into your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. <laughs>